think about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Cage My IQ. Today, we're going to be discussing UFC on ESPN 51. The main event is Rafael Dosanos versus Vicente Luque in the welterweight division. As always, I'm your host, Cage, and this is my co-host, Miles Long. How are you doing today, Miles? Not bad. Just chilling here with my co-pilot, Charles Oliveira. Last week's card was pretty fun, and we're in that one. We're in one of those weeks where, like, you got an interesting card. It's not super stacked, and it's right up against a pay per view that's like stacked top to bottom. And the week in between is just like boring as shit. That's that's the week we're doing today. Boring as shit. Yeah, you're gonna see a lot of Dana White tennis series alumni. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna see a lot of up and comers looking to make that jump from uh, the fight night yeah. to the pay per view. We do have a few good ones tonight, but basically, it's one of those. Filler cards to get guys onto uh, the main the main roster, see what they have, see if they can cut it and make that jump to the next level. Uh, we got 13 fights on this uh, UFC uh, on ESPN card, and it's going to be taking place at, of course, the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. But before we do that, let's take care of some of the bills here. Of course, this is Cage My IQ. You can follow us on social media at the handles right down below. You see we're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch. On Twitter, it's at CageIQ. Instagram, at CageMyIQ. On YouTube, we're at CageMyIQ. And then we're also at BloodlineENT. And on Twitch, it's just at BloodlineENT. You can find all the content on both the CageMyIQ YouTube and the BloodlineENT uh, YouTube as well. If you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button down below. Please smash the like button and hit us up in the comment section. Let me know what you think of our big predictions for this week's Fight Night uh, card on ESPN+. And then we're going to be giving you guys a little bit of insight into betting as well. We'll give you guys over-unders, what we like from a betting standpoint. So give us your feedback on that as well. We want to know what you're going to be hitting on Saturday night. And of course, as I just said, we're partnered with the Bloodline Entertainment Network. So definitely check out all the content on the YouTube page. We got anywhere from MMA to wrestling. We do watch alongs. We just did a watch along for SummerSlam this past Saturday night. It, it was lit. It was great. A lot of talk. We had a lot of people commenting in. And of course, we also do anime, we do cinema. Uh, Graydon just did his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode where he broke down the new movie that just came out. I will be watching it again because I didn't get the chance to fully watch it because my kids. Uh, so I'm going to definitely watch the episode that he did on that. And then we do fantasy baseball. We do football. We got a TBQ that just came on Wednesday night. We, we do review shows. We we do a little bit of everything, and we're on every day of the week. So definitely check out all the content we have on the Bonani and T 
We also come out with uh, the website. We have articles. I just I've been covering the G1 climax for New Japan. So each night, it's a month long, five days a week. I've been covering a lot for that. So if you want to check out any of the coverage of that or any of the articles that we've been putting out for sports and entertainment, just go to bloodlinenetwork.com. And of course, on top of that, we got merch and then we got a sponsor. But before we get to the merch, let's talk about the sponsor that we have with W Energy. Check out this video right now. Yo, what's good, brother? You ready to live stream? Oh, man. I just don't know. I, uh, I'm feeling real low on energy right now. What? You know what, man? I know exactly what you need. You need some W energy. Let me send you some W energy right now. W? W? W who? W what? W energy? What's that? What's W energy drink you say, Tim? W is a clean energy drink that is made to give you focus with no crash, jitters, or against like other energy drinks. W energy drink contains no maltodextrin fillers and don't use artificial dyes. W energy drink also contains vitamins, amino acids, nootropic, and 150 milligrams caffeine. Here, Tim, try W's energy drink latest flavor, Dragonade. How do you feel? Yo! Oh, oh, I'm feeling so much better. Damn, where do I get some more of that W from? Oh, that's what's up. Just go to the awesome website, W.GG, and use our special code, Bloodline1, and get 10% off right now. That is our sponsor, and W Energy. Definitely check it out. It is really good. They, as you see there, Get 10% off your next purchase with using the promo code Bloodline1. And then now that we're done talking about that, let's give a shout out to the Bloodline merch with this uh, video that we have for you right now. Tired of bored, uninspiring merch? Well, you need to go to bloodlinenetwork.com slash merch. We got merch for everyone. Men, women, kids, in the home. We got tanks, V-necks, T-shirts, coffee cups. And we can't forget about beach towels. That's right. Get your ass off that hot-ass sand and get your Bloodline Entertainment Network beach towels. Bloodlinenetwork.com slash merch. For your pleasure. You can't beat that. The Bloodline merch. We're running the Sierra out right now. You get a 30% off your, your purchase. And then we have $13 tees. It's going to be running from August, I believe, 27th, I believe, to September 8th. So you got a week and a half to go into that right there. We're going to be running in a couple of weeks, the day after the AEW All In. So make sure you get ready. If you want to check out, any of the stuff that we have, it's at bloodlinenetwork.com slash merch. We got a lot of stuff as they covered in that video, so definitely check it all out. But now let's talk about the Cage My Q merch that we have. We got the shirt right there on fightersfirst.shop. We got the new Sword and Shear logo. It comes in white, green, and gray. Check that out right now. It's very comfy. It's for if you support the show, 
definitely buy one of these three styles of shirts. I got one coming out soon with a new logo, so keep an eye on that. But all you got to do is go to fightersfirst.shop, go to the Cage My IQ collection, and check out one of our shirts. Mike Ginn has several shirts out now. We even got Miles wearing the old school Cage My IQ shirt That's as right. we speak, and right there on him right now, sleeveless. <laughs> Uh, we got three Old different uh, this. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but if you go there, fightersports.shop has anywhere from wrestling to MMA to combat sports. Uh, definitely check out all the stuff that Mike Ginn has out now in front of the shows. He has great uh, t shirts out there now. Just go to fightersports.shop and go to the Cage My IQ collection. But other than that, uh, let's get started with this uh, fight card that we have for you. We got 13 fights, right. as I said before. Uh, the first fight that we're going to break down is this one right now. We got a women's fly rate matchup between Driana Miller versus Luana Santos. Driana Miller is the plus 140 underdog. And then you got Luana Santos, who is the minus 120 favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I like how the way you say Juliana Miller, it's very Jersey. I can hear it. It's funny. <laughs> this one, I don't know, man. This is kind of an interesting one for me because, like, on the, you know, uh, uh, Ultimate Fighter, Juliana Miller ended up being something of a crowd favorite. Like, she was one of those she was one of those contestants where it didn't really look from the onset. Like, she would really have a shot at winning. But, uh, you know, she, especially, I think, of her semifinal fight, she overcame, like, pretty much the series' favorite. Managed to uh, manage to beat her and then win the whole damn thing. So I think people were really high on Miller for a while. And then that last fight she had, not that long ago, it was her first uh, actual fight, like in the UFC. It was just, it was awful, man. She just shit the bed on that one. Like I think, I think that's probably why the odds are the way they are. Because uh, Luana Santos, I couldn't find anything on her. She's a brand newcomer to the UFC. I think she's coming up from LFA. She was on uh, LFA 154, but on the she was buried down on the prelim card. So I couldn't find anything on her. But she's still the the favorite here versus Juliana Miller, who's actually you know at least been close to the you know you know UFC adjacent competition. But I think that's just how badly she did in her actual debut. Where like okay, we got to put her as the dog because she's got the jujitsu. Her striking, I think, still needs some work. Um, I think what she lacks in technique, she makes up for with aggression, you know. Uh, but her hands kind of are a little slow at the beginning until she really gets going. Um, and, you know, when her hands are too slow like that, she doesn't have the power to just kind of stand and trade more like a counter game. She has to make up for it in aggression and volume. Uh, but usually it takes her a minute. But when she gets there, it turns into more of a brawl than anything else. Um, she has a good clinch and good wrestling up on the cage. Um, sometimes has kind of like trouble closing that distance. Like she's going to eat a lot of punches to get to you and get you on the cage, uh, which can be a problem if she's up against a power striker, obviously a good submission game. Um, that also kind of comes with the, the drawback of she's quick to accept the bottom position, right? She's okay with just letting someone on top and that way she can hunt for those submissions on the mat. Um, but she has lots of submission attempts. So she stays fairly busy. Um, in her debut, one of her big problems was she would overcommit to submission attempts, even when yeah. it was not going to happen. There was one Kimura that was like so obvious to just let it go. It's, it's, you know, all you're doing is screwing yourself over at that point. So the only thing I could really find on Santos was just sort of her record. I kind of looked a little bit at uh, what she's done right now. She is sitting at a five and one record 
three submissions, two decisions. Doesn't seem like she's got super heavy hands because she don't have like really any knockouts, anything like that. I imagine uh, she is probably fairly decent with her hands because of her decision wins. So she probably has to be able to stand, fight a little at range, and then close distance, um, maybe control on the cage, get that takedown if she can, try to finish by early submission. But um, yeah, I think just because, again, how bad Miller did on her on her actual debut, that's what's putting her as the dog right now. The question is, did she learn anything from it? You know, um, I feel like they definitely set this one up to kind of give her a win. Uh, especially because they know she was a crowd favorite and they don't want to like tank her right away. I think they're throwing her this softball like right over the plate in front of the bat so she could just crank this out of the park. Um, that way they can kind of point to her debut and go, oh, well, you know, it was a debut. You know, it's, it's you know, first time jitters or whatever, octagon jitters, right? So I think the intent is to have Miller win. And, you know, this uh, Santos coming from LFA, that's like UFC adjacent talent, which tends to be where she shines anyway. Yeah. It seems like maybe UFC talent is, is a little too much for her to handle right now. So this might actually be a good way of kind of easing her into the division. But just because Santos is such a big unknown here, it's really difficult to say how this is going to go. I could see the decision going either way. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, this could be like a long drawn out, you know, Really boring, like what am I thinking? Uh, Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza style fight, yeah. where they just kind of want to stay at range, they respect each other's grappling too much, and they never really get going. That's a possibility. Um, or it could be that one of them is just generally a little better with the grappling than the other and just controls it on the cage. That would probably in this matchup be Miller. Um, and if Santos maybe has a little more power than, than she's letting on, maybe she can keep that respect, keep it standing, and win through volume. So it's, it's definitely going to go the distance, I think. So over one and a half is probably safe, but you're going to want to play the live odds on this just because like, if you're going to bet it all, you got to know what you're betting on. And Santos is an unknown factor. You can't really put money on something you don't know nothing about, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm leaning a little towards Santos just because of how bad Miller looked. And I think that's either you learn for that or you don't. I'm hoping she does, mm. but I can only go based on what how I see. Much, how much do we put in stock into how she looked compared to how Veronica Hardy came into that with all the time that she had to work on what she needed to work on? She definitely came into that, was ready to go, and we already knew how Miller would be, and then she kind of just fell right into the trap of Veronica Hardy where everybody was like, oh, Hardy – is the one that could barely make it onto a roster, but then she had this right. great performance against her. Drayana Miller still has that same aspect to her. She clinches up well. She is very good at taking the back of her opponent, looking for submissions. She kind of has that DS brother uh, where she pushes the pace and she's thrown at you with reckless abandonment. She could be better accurate with her punches. That's something she needs to work at. But then you got Luana Santos who comes in. She's known for spamming the double uh, leg takedown a lot. She uses that grappling background that she has. She does have pretty decent hands and a little bit of power, but she's all about pressing her luck with the takedown. She'll keep spamming it, spamming it, and a lot of times she makes mistakes that way. She's either going to get it or she's going to kind of die trying because she wants to get the fight to the ground. Right. And that might play into Drayana Miller's uh, game plan yeah. to, to kind of help her out, because she's looking to kind of clinch up anyway. If you looked on 
the on uh, the Ultimate Fighter, one of the things that she did against Bergen Walker was basically just clinch up with her and took her down to the mat and took the back of her and kind of just controlled her a lot of the time along the fence and on the ground and threw her there because then she didn't have to worry about her accuracy that much because she was right there in front of her and she has that long length, which helps her out too. I, I'm with you with this yeah. one where I, it could go uh, like a round and a half. I like the over one and a half rounds, depending on the line is. She's coming in as an underdog as well, which I think there's a, that's very good odds for somebody who has experience compared to somebody who's coming out of nowhere from LFA. They're, they both don't have that much uh, time in the octagon, too. we got to think about that. Uh, you got Juliana Miller, who is three and two, and then Santos, who's just five and one. But that doesn't accrue for the three, two or three fights that Miller has had in the in the tough house. So she's had a little bit more right. against other people that are as hungry as her. So I'm going to go with Juliana Miller with this one. I'm going to go late sub, rear naked choke. I'm going to go round three because I think. With the attempts for Santos to uh, try and take her down, Dreyana Miller does a decent job with that. And you saw the one thing that killed her was kind of like the the kickboxing uh, range uh, striking from Veronica Hardy. She's not going to have to worry about that too much in this one. She's going to be able to clinch up close, get her to the mat. She might even take down Santos a couple times from the back. And I think she's just going to wear on her. She's going to throw a little bit. Uh, with that range, and it's definitely going to go to the distance, I think. So over one and a half oh, rounds, if, if you really are with me, definitely look at the decision prop there. And then during on the Miller, uh, money line, I really like that. I just, just like you said, there's just so many unknowns with Santos, other than the fact that she likes to spam the double. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I didn't really even know that Santos is more of just like she wants to press the attack with yeah. the takedowns and just hunt to make it a grappling match. And that does help Juliana Miller. The thing that kind of blew me away about that last, you know, her debut in the UFC against Hardy, um, her UFC record's not very deep. Like, her MMA record's not very yeah. deep. But she has a very extensive grappling record. Like, she goes to a lot of grappling tournaments. I think she is, let's see, seven fights. Yeah, seven grappling matches. She only has one loss. So that's yeah. six and one. So she's she's really a very decorated grappler. And you can tell in her submission game. And that blew me away that, you know, when Hardy was, like, standing up and she was still holding on to a Kimura, like, out here. Like, that's, yeah. like, day one, you know, white belt level stuff. And I think that's sort of the pressure that the UFC yeah. kind of brings where you could have a world-class grappler and then just in that environment, you just forget. You make those stupid little mistakes. So I think Santos, can I given her that? I feel like it's going to be the case where Santos wants to take it to the ground and Miller's going to be like, all right, let's go. Like that, That's where I want to be anyway. Like, come on in. And she's not really going to do very much in the way of takedown defense. Um, so that can be either good or bad, right? That can either and be it, a recipe it, for it, it, she and then falls into look, a trap or she stales out on the mat. So and we'll then when you see, look at right? it, and then when you look at it, it's women's MMA. It's a low level fight. Yeah, I'm always gonna look for a, a chance to go with the underdog there because uh, you, yeah. these are always 50-50 toss up fights. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like hmm. I'm hoping that Miller will, you know, take her time. Remember the the golden rule: uh, position yeah. before submission. 
And yeah. when something's not going to work, she has to be able to move on. Because if she doesn't, I think that's going to help Santos more than anything. Because the failed um, submission attempts just create openings. And then she's just going to want to re-engage. But she'll have the better position at that point. And if, if Miller's too content to just hang out on the back, that means there's a lot of available position transitions for Santos to just move between while she's hunting for you know submissions that are just not going to happen at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see kind of this hopefully boosting Miller's career, putting her back on track after a, a very rocky start. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Let's move on to the next one. This actually just got added the other day. Uh, we got a bantamweight matchup between Demon Blackshear versus Jose Johnson. Blackshear was originally supposed to fight, of course, Brady Highstand, Highstand, had to bail out of the fight, mm -hmm. so they found Jose Johnson uh, just a few days ago to take this on less than a week's notice. You got Blackshear, who's the minus 200 favorite. Jose Johnson is the plus 165 underdog. I'll go real quick on this one just because it's a only a short notice one. I'm going to go with Damon Blackshear <laughs> on this one by decision. I like his frame. He's a pretty decent striker. He looked really good the last time around. His grappling really impressed me. I know that's one of his strong suits with his wrestling and grappling. I think he's going to use that to his advantage, avoid the distance striking from Jose Johnson, the big blows, and I got him to win this one by decision. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which fights I saw of Blackshear because he is kind of a like a fairly new guy. He doesn't have a whole lot of fights, which means it's kind of hard to track down uh, the fights he, he does beat, have. He beat Luan. Uh, I saw his contender series by, fight for yeah. sure. Yeah, he beat Luan. I saw his contender series by fight. He lost to Fareed Oh, Basharat. I see that one. Yeah, that's the one I saw. I saw Basharat. That's the one I saw. Yeah. So that's like you know not the newest fight he's had, but it's like in there. Um, the yeah. thing that concerned me when I saw the Basharat fight. He is a big boy for the division. Like he's very long, he's very lanky. He's got the range. Um, he when he gets his hands going, he's got a lot of volume. He just kind of throws. Um, he's really worried more about speed than like actual stopping power, right? Which can help on the cards. Like you don't necessarily need to knock someone out to win. You just you know have to do more to get the decision. So he is really good with that. I don't like the fact that he's doing like the jumping kicks. Jumping kicks yeah. are high energy consumption, low success rate. And I think that plays into in that fight, he kind of did show, he looked like he had a gas tank problem. And I think that was kind of part of it is in the first round, he's jumping around a lot, wasting a lot of unnecessary energy. And then he fell behind on the cards, got super desperate in the third round and made some really important mistakes that could have won him the fight if he hadn't done so. Yeah. Um, but I think he has good movement on the feet. He has the good wrestling on the cage. Um, he's active with the submission game, but he works from his back. So, like, if you shut down his submission attempts, he's just kind of stalled out like a turtle. Um, he's, like I said, quick hands. Um, now, the other thing is, again, not much powers, which means he doesn't seem to command a lot of respect from the opponents in front of him. He will touch them a bunch of times, but they there's really nothing stop, stopping them from coming forward and applying pressure. And that's why I like kind of Johnson here. He also has a really strong wrestling ability. His fight that I saw was his uh, contender series fight. Yeah. And that one was against um, the British guy. I want to say Taylor? Nah, Jack Cartwright. Um, Cartwright. That's where it was. It was Cartwright. So I was watching him against Cartwright. And Cartwright was the better wrestler. There's, there's no question. Like you look at these yeah. two, he was outclassed. 
still won the fight. And the big reason was, is that Cartwright had a lot of control, but Johnson didn't let him settle. Like he uh, yeah. it took everything he had just to hold Johnson down because he's down there working constantly. He may be on the bottom, but he's looking for sweeps. He's looking for transitions, looking for submissions, whatever it takes. And he fell deep into some chokes. Like there were some chokes that anybody else probably would have ended right there. Like that deep anaconda, that one should have ended it right there, but he was smart. He kept calm, rotated out to maintain or release the pressure off his neck. And he found a way out. And he did like three or four times. And it was just Cartwright trying and trying and trying and trying. And eventually he just kind of burned out. And then the tables turned right at the last minute. And he was able to put on a more dominating performance towards the end of the second and, and, you know, in the third. And I think that's really what won it out. And that is something I don't really see Black Shear doing well with if it hits the mat. And the other concern is he does like the jujitsu game. When I was watching him in Basarat, there was basically no takedown defense. Basarat would come in and he'd be like, all right, let's go to the mat because that's where he wants to be. He wants to hunt for those submissions. Yeah. But I think if you give Johnson the top position, he's going to be too active. Um, I think he's going to shut down a lot of those submission attempts. And he's just constantly moving, constantly giving you different problems to solve. Um, and he's just changing it up so much. Where with Basarat, who wasn't even really that active, Basarat got on top, had you know was controlling him, but he wasn't doing a lot. He wasn't really ground and pounding. He wasn't like you know making it harder and harder, finding more and more dominant positions, or just working his way into like topside submissions. None of that. He was just putting points on the board basically, and that's what gave Blackshear the opportunity to find those submissions. Um, but like even then, it didn't really happen for him. You know, it was like right at the very very end of the fight. He locked in a triangle, but he didn't have the time to finish it. So, you know, it was kind of yeah. it was kind of like I a did, gamble. Either you get did, it or you don't, you know. I did like his striking in his last fight against Lacerda. I, I thought it, it looked a lot better. I think his striking is better. Yeah. Yeah. I think his and he, is he didn't try and spam the takedowns. He did go for takedowns and he had a couple, but he was kind of using that to set up his striking, which worked out greatly. Evan uh we, just like you were talking about with the car right by uh, Jose Johnson got taken down six times, controlled on the he mat did. for five, six minutes or so, a little bit longer. But he, he's he, car right's the type of guy that's not very going to use too much uh, attack offensively. He's going to use more control, the control over there. And Jose Johnson really wasn't giving him too. the chance to. <laughs> Blackshear is going to use all, uh, offensive moves when he, he goes for the takedowns. And if he doesn't get it, He's fine with getting in the clinch and just throwing at you. That's exactly yeah. what happened with Asserta. He had a lot of chances yeah. to throw. He was attacking the body. And then he just yeah. got to the point where, even though he's not the hardest hitting, all the damage that he did just had a lot of effect on Asserta. And he was able to get the finish in round two in that fight. Yeah. And I could see that translating to this one. As long as he's not hunting too much for those takedowns, because he does have a good gas tank. It's just that when he falls behind, like you said, he starts he to hunt for things. Yeah. But if he could, if he could get started very quickly with his game and get it going early, then he he's not going to have to make a lot of these mistakes because he's not gasping for uh, for moves trying to get from behind. He's going to be the one pushing right. the pace. So it's going to be basically yeah. be who's going to push the pace first, get their game right. going, and then who's going to have to trail because. I was going to try on this fight. It's going to have like a long road ahead of them yeah. because these two guys know what they want to yeah. do and they have two different styles. Yeah. No, I think this boils down to exactly two factors. Uh, some of what we've yeah. already been talking about. 
Um, whoever can get their game going first is really important. But more importantly, I think Johnson knows, I think, that he's not the better striker here. He's not the power guy. He's not the technique. Yeah. I think he knows he's outclassed on the hands, which means he's incentivized to just press forward, find the takedown, where Blackshear wants to keep it more on the feet. Uh, and my yeah. main concern is, like, one – Ken Johnson, uh, you know, blast through his offense and just get to the takedowns. It doesn't even matter if he can hold him down. Can he just start taking him down? Because when Blackshear, like he, when he was with Basarat, I think he likes the jiu-jitsu game too much, and yeah. he will just accept the takedown. He won't even really try to defend because he's like, oh, jiu-jitsu, I love jiu-jitsu. Let's do more of that. Um, and if, he's, if he falls into that trap, then I feel like Johnson can grind out a really, really hard decision, but I think he can do it. Whereas if um, Blackshear is more diligent about his stand-up and he doesn't make the mistake of wanting to accept those takedowns to get to the jiu-jitsu, he really wants to test his striking here and he's made like determined to keep it on the feet. I think he can, um, but he has to really put in an effort here. Um, so it's it's down to one of those two, and it's gonna you're gonna see it right away in the first round. Like yeah. Johnson is gonna come out really heavy looking for the takedown, and we can tell right away what Blackshear is gonna do. Is he gonna accept it and try to play the ground game? Or is he going to try to keep him off and try to, you know, play with the hands? Um, I think either way, you're safe with over one and a half. Because, again, this is probably going to go the distance. Blackshear is yeah. not the knockout guy. You know, Johnson is more of the kind of grinding him out with his gas tank. He does have a number of submissions, but I think Blackshear is probably good enough to not get submitted. So either way, this, this I think, goes the distance. But you'll have to play the live odds, I think. Um, yeah. Especially, watching that gap yeah, I don't think the over one and a half line is going to be very good because they're going to expect this fight mm. to go yeah. longer than uh, than one and a half rounds. They expect it to go two, maybe all three rounds. So I feel like, and that's really the only thing you can play uh, on this fight yeah. because it's so up in the air. So really, like, your only chances with this one is to look yeah. at the live odds and then maybe see if uh, yeah. Blackshear can have a good first round and then those Jose Johnson ones go up. Or the opposite, Jose Johnson yeah. goes up, and then you can kind of see what Blackshear, because I do feel like Blackshear is going to have the better cardio in this one. And mm -hmm. it's just that with him, it's how is he going to do fighting from behind if he loses round one? But I do think right. that just like yeah. the first one, it's a toss up fight. It's just made short yeah. notice. So I'm personally yeah. going to stay away from it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it was like when he fought uh, Basarat. When he got in the third round, he was winning, but he was like, oh, shit, I'm behind on the cards. And just shot for yeah. these takedowns for no reasons, just to try to, you know, put more points on the card than he had to because he felt like he was yeah. so behind. So this yeah. is going to be chaos. So this is, yeah, I, I wouldn't touch this one too much. <laughs> Let's move on to the next fight on the prelim. We got a women's story battle between Monsterat-Riaz versus Jacqueline Amarin. Uh, Monstra Reyes is the plus 200 underdog, whereas Jacqueline Amarin is the minus 240 favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This one seems pretty open and close to me, um, just because the gas tank is going to make the difference here. Um, this is very reminiscent of like an early uh, Terrence McKinney fight, you know? He either gets it done in the first or he doesn't get it done at all. And that's that's very much like I feel that how Amaram fights. She has decent hands, but really, she's she's a grappler. She uses kind of this long, wide, looping Muay Thai style, but she mostly uses that to kind of close the distance, get close, maybe cause a little damage. That'd be cool. But if not, it doesn't really matter because she's going to try to wrestle up against the cage, hunt for takedowns, and then take it to the mat as quickly as she can because that's where she wants to go 
you know, submission after submission after submission. She's going to be constantly hunting for those. But all of her wins have happened in the first round. And every single fight she's been in that has gone past the first, she's lost by decision because she puts everything into the first round. And then her gas tank just disappears. Start it's like right at the beginning of the second round. Her activity is basically dropping off. Her aggressiveness is gone. Um, she'll want to accept the bottom position, but she won't be really hunting the same way for submissions. She falls for feints really easily. That happened in her Sam Hughes fight where she was getting baited like in the, in the grappling and she was just falling for it every time because she knew she had nothing left in the tank. So if she sees an opening for a potential submission, she's going to try to take it. Even if it is, you know, potentially a trap for something else. I feel like she's confident enough in her jujitsu to be like, well, even if it is a trap, I won't get submitted. But, you know, there is a chance I could still make it work, right? But, yeah, I think the gas tank issue is significant here, whereas uh, Conejo, at least, you know, yes, she's been out since 2001 because she had a canceled bout in there where she didn't really get to fight. Uh, but she is a brawler. She likes to get inside the pocket, trade back and forth. She has decent wrestling ability, at least enough to, like, keep it on the feet when she wants to keep it on the feet. She really likes that scarf hold when she does take it to the ground. Um, and she is good about mixing in a little ground impound here, a little submission there. Uh, and more importantly, yeah. you know, she has five decision victories. She can go the distance, no problem. Like two rounds is, yeah, that's that's a normal day at work. Whereas for a um, um, that's like, that's hard. After you get out of the first, like she's got basically nothing left to work with. So if she can't get it done right away, that's going to be a big, big problem for her. Uh, and so because when you have a gas tank issue like that, it's kind of like when you're looking at Derek Lewis and, and – um, uh, what was the last fight? Jesus. It was Marcus uh, De La Hima. It was kind of like that. We, we kind of said like, well, Lewis could win. He could because he's got the power. But, you know, you go with the guy who can last past the first round and not, you know, completely gas out. And, you know, you could have Amiram pull out a very handy, you know, first is first round submission. But I don't and think we, there's any way she's pulling a decision. And we've seen Monsterat. And we've seen Monsterat. Go ten minutes grappling, uh, of course, yeah. with Cheyenne uh, Blismos, where she just like mm -hmm. you said, she used a scarf hold, just kind of threw her down and then held her the whole time oh, yeah, yeah. and was, uh, was punching her, and she did it for three rounds, controlling her for that. So we know she has the cardio, and it's just that what makes this even more intriguing is the fact that it's basically could be wrestling against jujitsu because that's what Anne yeah, Marie has, and she attacks yeah. it, but she. <laughs> She, she does have decent hands, but she's all about mm -hmm. attacking uh, the, the submissions early, and she puts a lot into it. So it's like it's either she's going to it's gonna play into her realm where she can go to the back or look for a hold and then just lock it in and play probably the god that she, she makes Monstra Arias tap out. You're going to have one of these kind of boring fights where Monstra gets her, throws her down, holds her in, in position, throws here, throws there, and then just does mm -hmm. it for three rounds because it's either yeah. going to be one or the other. It's going to be Amarin by first round submission, or I could see Monster at Reyes by decision, possibly sub round three when she, uh, she yeah, wears right, out yeah. Amarin because Amarin is going to be battering to get out of the uh, – to get out of guard or get out of what position Monster at Reyes has. She's going to be the stronger opponent. It's just that she's got to watch out for the dangerous – uh, like 
holds that Amarin can look for when she's down in guard. Right. Because, you know, when you're wrestling, you're looking to take the top position and always moving to keep that dominant spot. But then when you make one small move, a jiu-jitsu artist can just whoop, uh, fling all legs up and get you in a triangle or get you right. into a bad position. So that's the only thing Reyes is going to have to watch out for. I, I get why they have the odds the way they do because you got the finishing power of Amarin in the first round compared to more like a decision. Plus, the last fight uh, Reyes had was getting uh, knocked out by uh, Lamos. But then the one before that, it was that was a huge jump going from mm-hmm. uh, Cheyenne Blizbos to uh, Amanda Lamos when she was on her right. way up, moving that yeah. way up. And when she got knocked down, she's had a lot of time to recover from that good look at mm-hmm. it, and then we haven't seen her since then, so that could be a blessing in disguise that she didn't rush back and then any right. fight that she was supposed to have kind of got uh, canceled for whatever reason, so she could come into here. I'm going with the underdog. I'm going with her uh, by decision late sub here. Yeah. I just think that she's able to last that first round rush of Amarin, and I always like a, a wrestler's chance against a, yeah. a jiu-jitsu artist where they're known for hunting early and then they start to wear out because of the gas tank. So unless Amarin mm-hmm. can find a good one early, she's going to be in a yeah. worth of hurt in this one and she's going to have to endure 15 minutes of uh, being on her back. So I'm going with the yeah. underdog here. I like the over one and a half on this one. Yep. Plus with the plus 200 odds, you can't beat that. So you got to yeah. attack that one, especially like we said, Women's MMA, a 50-50 fight, you always go with the underdog. Yeah, no, for sure. Here, you can attack the money line, but we already know MRM's going to have a strong first, so you could even play the live odds and get that plus 200 to maybe like a plus 400, especially if she does look like she's in control, even if she's really not. Um, As long as, as, you know, Ruiz can make the bell and see a second round, then, you know, you could be sitting on a pretty fat plus money odds right there that, yeah, it would be, a, I'm it'd be worth the squeeze. I'm definitely going to attack the money line and then attack the live odds too, yeah. and look yeah. for that because right now, knowing how the, the lines fluctuate, you want to get this one now before yeah. people go on this side and then make that drop down to where it's right, more yeah. of a, uh, like a minus 150, one plus 150 kind of the line right now. You want to get oh, it yeah. at the sweet spot now and then attack the live. If she wins, then you get double the rewards from it right, because yeah. you did it that way. But, but I like I said, I definitely get that the reasoning for going this way because yeah. of the finishing power. It's just that it's one round of bust for her. Right. Just like we're just like we're talking about in a couple of fights with the with the McKinney breeding one. We're going to talk about that. But yeah, yeah I think this one's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, easy one. Let's move on to the next fight. We got a heavyweight battle here between Josh Parisian versus Martin Boudet. You got Parisian, who's the plus 170 underdog, and then Martin Boudet, who's the minus 200 favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, so this is an, a kind of an interesting one. With Parisian, you got like big boy swinging big hammers. Um, he's actually pretty accurate with his jab. He's got really heavy kicks from the back leg. Um, he really drives him into like the calves and the, and the thighs. So that does help kind of reduce his opponent's mobility. And he, you know, once he gets going, he starts dropping bombs. 
Uh, but he is pretty durable. He can take a lot. I think I saw his fight with uh, Boudot, the French fighter. Um, he did pretty well in that fight. Um, and a big part of it was his durability. Like when he was taking damage, he could just bite down on the mouthpiece and keep going. It does make him more of a wild brawler. So like there was always a chance he could get caught with something that he just can't handle. Um, but the other impressive thing about that Bado fight was his ability to tie up, wrestle on the cage and secure takedowns. He was very active. And once he knew that was going to be a winning strategy, he was just, you know, constantly moving to the cage, take down, work on him a little bit. And then Godot would kind of come back to his feet and he'd take him down again. I think he did like three times um, until he finally finished him with some ground and pound. Um, so he's got good top control. He's good with the ground and pound, um, especially if he can get you kind of pinned into the corner of the cage while he's on top. That's, that's money for him right there. Um, the only drawback is that using that strategy takes a huge toll on his gas tank. Like you could kind of see he was a little bit winded after the first. And then the second is when he managed to finish that fight um, where he was just going takedown, takedown, takedown. And he was, you could tell like he was uh, for the ground to pound, he was gassing out because his strikes were getting slower and slower and they kind of ramp up a little bit and they slow down. And then when the ref called it immediately, he just rolls over onto his back to spread Eagle trying to catch his breath. Cause he is out. Like if that had seen a third round, I'm not sure he would have, you know, been able to necessarily, uh, do what he had just done in the second round again. I think he would have been very, very conservative counter game in the standup and wanted to stay away from the ground just because he didn't have the gas tank left. Um, with Bidet, he has decent power in his hands. He's an accurate striker. Um, what I've noticed about him is he's good about pacing his striking, so he makes his gas tank last a little bit longer there. Um, and he's not putting too much in every strike, which means, one, energy conservation, two, fewer openings. He's able to have better guard discipline. He's able to cover more bases because he's not doing big looping shots. He's, he's a little bit more kind of read and then find the openings and place the shots. Um, he has pretty good head movement and a very durable chin. He can take a lot of punishment. Like he um, ate a bunch of head kicks in the fight I watched him on. I want to say, which one was that? Let me pull his record real quick because I saw him on a fairly recent Bresky. fight. Lucas, Lucas Bresky landed a lot of leg kicks on him. That split decision one where it was yeah yeah that was split decision that was the one yeah, yeah. um and he was getting out volume like 100 percent he was getting out yeah. volumed and that's sort of the drawback of his approach is that it is more calculated it is more again we're looking to play shots so whereas Bresky was just throwing volume to throw volume as long as you could touch him that's fine there's a little damage it'll yep. accumulate over time and it's it's adding up on the cards that was his basic approach um but the big thing that Bidet was kind of able to do, I think, was his clinch game in wrestling. It, you really saw it on full display on his contenders, uh, Dana White Contender Series fight. He can just put you on the cage and just grinds you out, very similar to like Neil Magny, where he wants to get you there. That way you can't move around too much, and then he just starts throwing those brutal elbows, brutal knees, just accumulates damage really quickly in those, in those exchanges. And then if you start hunting for takedowns off the cage, you can just separate and then come back when it's safe again. Um, so... It will kind of depend on Parisian's gas tank, I think, because he wasn't hunting a ton of takedowns in that first round against Bidet, uh, um, Bidot, but you could tell he was kind of feeling it. That's why in the second round, he kind of dumped everything to try to finish it's with gonna, all the takedowns. It's going to remind me, this is going to remind me of Bidet's last fight with Jake Collier, where mm -hmm. Jake Collier had a strong first uh, round where he yeah. outvolumed him, was laying big shots, yeah. but then he started to uh, his gas tank started to dwindle and he started to slow down. And then, yeah. just like you said, Barton Boudet is more calculating in the first round. 
and he's he ran himself in round two and three because he's not putting a lot into his shots. He's managing his gas tank very well. He's more about taking shots that are more accurate and that matter than just to throw out a, a, a volume, just to throw it out and to land them. He wants them yeah. to have impact on his opponents, and he did that perfectly against Collier. Collier took round one, and then he easily took rounds two and three in that one. Right. And you're going to basically get the same thing with Prizzy, and he's so. kind of like a poor man's Jake Collier where – <laughs> he, he has power. He can knock you out. He's going to press yeah. you. But you're going to see a lot of Josh Prezian early, and he's still going to throw. Even when he's tired, he's still going to throw, and he's still going to land. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to have that 100% uh, right. feel Knockout like power. he does yeah. in round one. So you're going to get, you're going to get Prezian attack him early, and you might see him damage him a little bit. But I, I, I see this one going a little bit longer. To the decision, I like Boudet. I like him in rounds two and three. Just like you said, one of the big things he does is he crowds his opponent along the fence, and then he picks shots, and then he throws them, and then he just circles on back, and then does the same thing again. And it makes it makes it look like he's being dominant in the fight, but he really is just controlling the action, and he's yeah. taking advantage of an opponent that doesn't have the best cardio. And then he just pushes forward, pushes uh, the pace, and then lands along the cage. It kind of closes the 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 movement for his opponents to where it's giving him easy pickings because he's pushed them along the fence and they can't back up because they're already there. It's kind of like a very good IQ move for somebody who wants to limit their output so that they have the best cardio and then they can do a lot of damage with such a short amount of time. So. I'm going Martin Boudet by decision in this one. Watch out for Prizzy in round one, though, because I do think that he could catch Boudet in round one. So it just depends on how Boudet comes out and manages the distance because that's what he's going to do. You said it uh, very good, the leg kicks. Both these guys throw leg kicks. But I think Martin Boudet might throw it out there early just Mm -hmm. to keep the pace. And... So with this one, I don't like the bias 200 odds. It's kind of hard to play that for a fight like this That where I don't think he's dominant. It's just that he has good game planning. That's what he has. So it's not going to be anything yeah. flashy. So I'm not attacking that. I'm interested to see what the over one and a half line is because yeah, uh, sure. maybe they think uh, this could be under one and a half because Prizzine has that puncher's chance to knock his opponent out. But right. then Martin Boudet, more than likely, is not even going to look for uh, to do that himself. So over yeah. one and a half could either be very good or it could be a sucky line there. So right. honestly, I'm staying away from this one. It's not the best of the fights yeah. here. Uh, he's 4-0. Uh, but like Lucas Bresky, I thought beat him. And I picked Boudet. I so too, yeah. so, so yeah. for him to get that uh, split decision was lucky on him. And then um, yeah. Prizian, Prizian did uh, did have a good fight against uh, Boudou, but just like mm-hmm. we said, this, this is a lower level heavyweight fight. So yeah, like I'm going- yeah, I mean for the people, yeah, yeah, I think decision is an easy one for this. I think people who are looking at Prizian for potentially like you know an early knockout or even take the decision or, or like a TKO because of his wrestling, I gotta admit for a big boy he had good wrestling. For a big boy he knew how to handle himself. 
The problem is Boudot is also fairly good at wrestling. So there's no guarantee that if Parisian hunts for takedowns that he's getting any of them. But he is still burning the energy the same way as if he did. So, I mean, that's just going to kind of, if he's coming out heavy in the first, it's just going to shorten his gas tank and shorten the life of that fight even more. Um, and again, like he might be a good power striker when he's fresh, but you have him hunt for five takedowns and then try to have him strike. A lot of his power is going to be gone because he just doesn't have the gas to keep throwing that way. So all that points to an easy decision here for Bidet. Um, but I think it's probably not going to be the most interesting fight to watch, especially on this card. So, you know, this one you can turn it on and then maybe tune out, go cook dinner and then, and then come back for one of the yeah. more interesting fights, you know? Yeah. Let's move on to the next one that we have on here. We got a featherweight matchup between Francis Marshall versus Isaac Dogarian. We got Marshall, who's the minus 190 favorite. And then we got Isaac Dogarian, who's the plus 155 underdog. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This one I have a pick, but I don't really have betting props on it just because I don't know anything about Dolgarian. I couldn't find any tape on this guy. He fights out of a super, super tiny uh, pro league FAC. They've only had 12. The most recent one was FAC 12. That just shows you that it's brand new. I have no idea what the level of competition there looks like. Um, I do know about Marshall. And the fact that they're pulling Dolgarian from this like super small league, I, I get why they're doing it. He's got a 5-0 and record. So I feel like his record kind of punched his ticket here, um, especially in a league that new and that small. If you have you know moderate talent, you're going to stand out a lot more against you know all the other guys there who really don't belong in the UFC. Maybe Delgarian is a good fit, maybe he's not, but by comparison, he looks a lot better, you know. Um, with Marshall, you got good boxing, he mixes in a lot of uh heavy kicks, especially to calves and thighs. He really kind of makes you pay and he wants to limit your mobility as much as he can. He strings together good combos, he has a pretty good gas tank. Um, my concern is he gets a little reckless sometimes when he shoots for his takedowns. But when he establishes control on the cage and he can get to your back and he can get those takedowns, he shows really good wrestling. He's got a great wrestling gas tank. He's just a dog. Once he gets on you, he doesn't want to let you go. Um, and he does, uh, for example, mat returns. He's really good on. If he takes you down, you try to get back up. Even if you manage to get your feet, he'll just mat return you and you'll be right back where you started again. So not only does he have a good gas tank, he has an excellent strategy for draining other people's gas tanks. So, you know, a guy like Dolgarian, maybe at a more, you know, small league where the pond isn't quite as deep and the fighters aren't quite as, you know, up to snuff. I think that if he's, you know, constantly being ridden, Matt returned, that's not going to be something he's used to, especially not at this level. Marshall is sort of the seasoned vet and Dolgarian is the who knows coming out of, you know, teeny tiny little, you know, small pro league. That one says that, you know, history tells us Marshall's probably going to take this one, which is why the odds are the way they are. It makes a lot of sense. You want to figure that, you know, experience is going to take the day, especially when Dolgarian probably has never faced this level of competition before. Um, but, yeah, like, I think you can think of this as – what did I write there? I can't even read my own writing anymore. Um, oh, yeah, this is a gas tank fight. Because, again, you got Marshall who is going to do everything he can to drain Dolgarian's gas tank as much as possible with his wrestling. Um, I think he, he might try to stand and trade with the striking a little bit, but that might not be the best idea. Dolgarian does have three knockouts and two subs, so he's pretty good at finishing the fight. 
uh, when given the opportunity, which tells me that Marshall should just play a really safe, conservative game, take the back, ride him out, make him, you know, use up all his energy. He might be a great, you know, boxer, great jujitsu guy when he's fresh, but not after five takedowns. Then all of a sudden his jujitsu black belts could be more like a jujitsu purple belt because he ain't got the gas tank for all the black belt shit. So I think if he just sticks to the game plan that like everybody knows he should do, we're probably going to see Marshall by decision. Or if he can burn him out, potentially a late sub. He does have a couple of those on his record. Um, Not so much lately, but uh, he does have that um, Rojo win with – it was a knockout in the second. So he could potentially get like a TKO if he burns him out too. That's also a possibility. But I like the decision a lot better here. One thing to watch out for is the fact that Dogalian, he has a lot of those uh, uh, early finishes in his fights, but then it kind of masks the fact that he's a very good uh, grappler. He's a wrestler, and he looks for takedowns. He just hasn't used them because of those early uh, finishes that he's had. So you're going to see him trying, uh, I think, to use that against Marshall. But it depends on if he's trying to make that flashy start or if he's coming in with a better game plan of, what he saw from Marshall's last fight with William Gomes, where neither of those guys were he wanted to throw. They kind of just stayed at that kickboxing yeah. range <laughs> and just landed yeah. just enough. And then Gomes it did more than Marshall did. It's kind of like yeah. a really bad taste from his Rojo fight where he got the knockout round two. And he looked very good, very crisp in that one. It felt like he was a little bit scared. Yeah to hit Gomez and a lot of people and the people that took the chance on Gomez cashed in well with that. So it depends yeah. for the, for this fight. It depends on what Isaac Dogarian are we going to get? Are we going to get the one that's just going to yeah. throw, uh, like uh, throw knockout blows to Marshall and hope that he hits one, hits him with one and then possibly tires out at the one, or is he going to use his grappling, which he has very good cardio for that. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of his striking cardio uh, because we know a lot of guys, they can have very good grappling cardio, but not great uh, uh, striking right. cardio. And he's in that realm. He's he's very good with his grappling, uh, but not with the striking because he's always looking for it and using 100% of his uh, power to hit you. So if he can, can connect on one of those shots early, he could get that finish. But I feel like the better route for him is to go with the grappling I don't think he does that because I think he wants to make a mark and maybe he goes to that once he gets tired of with the striking. And I think that's where Francis Marshall is going to come into play because he's going to fight from the kickboxing range hit. Like he has very good range with his kicks and his hands. And with the fact that Dorgarian is going to throw and put a lot of his uh, shots, he's going to lean forward a little bit and land. And that's going to allow Marshall to counter those shots with his own. So, I like Francis Marshall in this one. I think he gets a late finish uh, round three in this one because of the how tired Dorgarian's going to be. And then Dorgarian's going to start having to uh, go crazy because he's going to be down two rounds. He's going to have to force takedowns and force striking. And that's going to leave a lot of open spots for Marshall to connect on him and get that finish. So I got round three uh, finish for Marshall. He's minus 190. I could you could play that if you want to. It's not too bad. I would just say rather you go live because you know Dorgarian's gonna try to attack him early. Dorgarian might have a chance to take the first round possibly if he lands anything. And then that line would become more even, which would be better for you 
to use for Marshall if you want to attack this one. So I'm saying uh, over one and a half, possibly uh, maybe wait on and hit the live odds on Marshall, but that's about it. Yeah, no, the other big concern I have about Breeden is that, or not Breeden, that's the next one. But Dolgarian, um, the concern is that this is his debut at the UFC and he's coming from a small league and he knows that. I think he's going to have something to prove. I think he's going to want to look for the big knockout highlight reel finish and it's not going to happen for him. <laughs> it's just not going to be there. So, yeah, I'd be definitely looking at that decision. But I do like the over one and a half just because I feel like Marshall being the vet will know all I got to do is just pace this first round, let him throw himself out. Yeah. And then in the second round, I'll start to get going. And then, yeah, he'll set himself up for maybe a late submission, depending on what Delgarian's gas tank ends up looking like across this fight. That's why I tend to go with the decision here because the, they're both wrestlers. So they can, you know, they can both kind of hang, you know, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, with the live odds, since I figure Marshall's probably winning, just wait to maybe have Delgarian have a strong first, but it will depend. If Marshall wants to shut him down early, that's also yeah. an effective strategy here because if you emasculate him, it's going to throw him off mentally. First of all, this is not an environment he's used to being in. He's not used to this level of competition. He had high expectations of himself coming into that. And the minute you just mat return him in the first round and can't do anything about it, that's going to break him mentally. And yeah. that's going to bode well for a long-term game. He, so he just, it depends on how Marshall wants to fight, really. He just needs to not be too content with that, uh, be too patient, because that's what killed him. Right, yeah. You know, William Gomes, is he wasn't yeah. as uh, active as he should be. He, he was patient, which yeah. worked out for him, because he got, he was able to meet the reads, but then he didn't, and he didn't act on those reads. He was just too content with moving around, throw one here and there, and then because Gomes wasn't as like forward as he should have been, even though he landed more, he was content to just ride that out. So he needs yeah. to watch out for that because that could be a bad move. So he needs to be more active, yeah. but I think he has more outs to win uh, than Dorgarian sure. does yeah. if he doesn't that early finish on Marshall. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what strategy comes to the play with, I think this is going to be a pretty safe one for him to, Grind out a victory, start another winning streak here. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is one you can just turn on and just – you don't even have to turn this one on. Just wait for the ESPN notification to let you know you, like, choked him out or something. And then you're yeah. like, oh, okay. Now, now I know. Let's move on to the next fight on the prelims. If they're just tuned in for the first time, please smash the like button down below and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're on Cage, subscribe to that. If you're on the, the Bloodline Entertainment Network's YouTube, subscribe to that. And then hit us up in the comment section and let me know what you're going with from a Ben standpoint and from a prediction standpoint for this fight night card. <laughs> well, let's move to this lightweight batter that we have. We got Terrence McKinney going in uh, versus Mike Breeden. Terrence McKinney is taking this fight on short notice. He is the minus 260 favorite, whereas Mike Breeden is the plus 210 underdog. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, we just had our mascot come and say hi to you guys real quick. Um, honestly, I don't like this fight at all. I don't like it. It's uh, it's kind of gross. So, like, with Terrence McKinney, we kind of talked about early in his career, he was like a first-round finisher, and everybody's like, oh, man, this kid. Everybody's real high on Terrence McKinney. This kid's the next, you know, big, big name in the UFC. And then he stops being able to finish in the first round because he gets guys who can outlast him. Soon as it hits the second round, that's a very different Terrence McKinney. 
And that's where he started accumulating the losses. I think right now he's sitting on a, I think it's a, yeah, two fight losing streak out of his last four. He's lost three of them. Um, and that's been the big reason. Now, what's interesting about this is actually in his last two fights, um, he has been actively working to slow down his pace. So he's not doing like balls to the wall, lightning fast first round. I've noticed he has kind of been holding himself back a little bit more. And the intent is to make his gas tank last longer. That way he can get out of a first round and still be viable. The problem is um, when he slows down his pace like that, it turns out that that super heavy, fast pace in the first round also hit a lot of the holes in his game. Once he slowed down and he wasn't using, like he wasn't weaponizing the pace and using that to kind of help him out, all the holes in his game became super, super obvious. Um, one of the big uh, weaknesses I've seen um, is the habit of clenching up on the cage, but not doing anything while he's there. Like, especially when he gets hit and he's overwhelmed, he'll do that thing where he likes to pin people. But again, he has a good wrestling and jujitsu background. If you have someone on the cage and you have that credential, use it. Don't just hold them on the cage because they can create separation. They can throw elbows. They can throw knees. But if you can at least pick their ankles out, you know, kind of like Glover Teixeira does where he kind of gets to your base and breaks you down. When you're on the mat, it's a lot harder for you to, you know, do damage, especially when Karen's McKinney is stunned. That's not what he needs is pinning somebody who then just starts throwing elbows to his head because he's not doing anything. He's not hunting for takedowns. He's not, you know, keeping the pressure. He's not doing anything to make them think about something else other than throwing elbows in his face. So I think the the slower pace has kind of exposed a little bit of the shortcomings in his game that we didn't see initially in his early career. Um, the other issue with him on the cage is that uh, he is prone to reversals. So if somebody's a little bit better with their cage control, even if he starts in the driver's seat, um, it's not that long until he is no longer in the driver's seat. He kind of gets reversed, finds himself up against the cage, um, and then that's when he starts finding himself being taken down and having his back ridden, all kinds of other problems there. Um, he also has a pretty big volume drop off now that he's trying to slow down his pace. Early in his career, um, he was doing a lot of volume in that first. And of course, he would gas out in the second. But now you would think that if he's slowing down to kind of make his gas take last a little bit longer, he could invest more into like, volume that's not necessarily knockout power volume. Like he's just looking to kind of touch, 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 put some points on the card, make his reads. Once he finds, you know, his openings, he's using that jab as a measuring stick to find his range. Then he can start putting in the bigger shots. You would think that would be a natural progression, but not really. It turns out he's doing more of like a counter offensive game. And when he doesn't have the pace to like weaponized pace to help him out, um, he doesn't really have the knockout power to play that kind of game. So he ends up getting, you know, freaking rocked and, and wobbled all the time. And um, if it goes to decision and he's still there, a lot of the time he can get outpointed and outworked, uh, not just in the striking, but also like up on the cage primarily. Um, so a lot of issues I'm seeing with this new Terrence McKinney we got here, but Mike Breeden's now no fucking treasure either. He's, Oh, and two inside the UFC so far. So it's pretty clear he has not been able to stand up to this level of competition at all. Um, he is a long range Muay Thai style fighter. He has decent power because he uses kind of those wider looping punches. Um, and he does like to play the counter game as well and land the big shots, have little bursts of like four or five shots at a time when he starts to kind of get into the later rounds. So he'll string those combinations together. 
Um, and you would think that would help him have more volume. The problem is, is there are longer periods of time between those bursts. So it's kind of like yeah. Paulo Costa where he'll throw a big one and then he'll not do anything for a while. And then he'll throw a big one. So he'll kind of do that. Um, to, it, it does help him last the distance. The big problem is um, he has like no chin at, at all. And neither does Terrence McKinney. That's the thing. They both have super compromised chins. Uh, I think in Breeden's last fight, which one was the one I saw? I saw he, the last fight he fought Levy, the time when he was Levy, fighting Levy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that one he got and knocked he, down like 10 times. Like he was just constantly getting punched in the face and falling to the mat. That was like 90% yeah. of that fight. And then, and then he got taken down seven times in the second yeah. round. Yeah, because he was hunting for those submissions, kind of like yeah. we were talking about earlier uh, mm -hmm. with uh, uh, Blackshear, but it just wasn't happening for him. This is why I think this is such a nasty matchup, just because you got two guys, lots of holes in both of their games, completely compromised chins. Both of them get wobbled when you blow on their chin too hard. And like they have similar credentials otherwise. They're both pretty decent wrestlers. They both know their way around submissions. Um, even now, like the, the difference with how Terrence McKinney is playing, even their striking game is very similar. They want to kind of stay more at range, play the counter game, try to look for their shots, even though a lot of the time they're just not there. Um, if I had to give an edge, it would be Breeden for the power advantage. Um, and then like those little bursts of, you know, four to five punch combos. I think that's something we've already seen. This new Terrence McKinney doesn't really deal very well with. Uh, the last fight I saw him with was... Yeah, I saw him in the Bonfum fight. And that's one of the things Bonfum would do to him is just string together these combinations. So maybe he wouldn't necessarily be able to touch him on the ones and twos. And when he stringed together three or four, that's when he got him and, and he blocked him. And then he backed him up on the cage. And then McKinney yeah. didn't have room to kind of move around and use that range. So he started getting desperate, throwing back, and he got caught yeah. with one. And but what I like about this matchup is the fact that he knows he's coming on short news. He knows that he's going to be looking and hunting for that early finish because of the his mm -hmm. gas tank might not be as top notch as it should, taking right. it on short notice. But he does have that length advantage. We've seen Mike Breeden be a little bit too patient at times. He's hittable, just like McKinney is. And McKinney's coming in, uh, I think, with a pretty uh, decent uh, range and with his uh, reach. We have yeah. three and a half inch reach advantage. And then the same height. So he's going to have a little bit more room to work with when it comes to his striking here. And then Mike Green ha has been taken down a lot in his fights. And McKinney can take people down. He shook. He said he has that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of utilized that later in the fight if he doesn't get him out. But for me, it's very yeah. cut and dry in this one. I got McKinney knocking out Mike Green in here. Even though both have yeah. uh, shaky chins, I do think that McKinney has – the power uh, to finish Breeden, whereas Breeden, we haven't seen it yet because on all right. three of his fights, he's yeah. lost. He's lost on his two yep. UFC fights, and then he <laughs> lost on the Dana White uh, yeah. Contender Series fight as well. So yep. I'm going with the proven commodity here. And McKinney, who we see knock out guys like Matt Provola, he knocked him out in 10 seconds. We've seen this guy. He even stunned Drew Dober before Dober recovered. And then came back and knocked McKinney out because he took the fight on short news. So I like McKinney's yeah. chances here early with a first round knockout. Uh, the minus 260 line is too large for me because he's taking it on short notice. Uh, you're right, to me, you really can't take it live 
because because yeah. I feel like McKinney's throwing chances <laughs> are in round one. So maybe yeah. if you're watching and then you see him putting a lot in after round one and then he doesn't finish breeding, maybe take a chance live on uh, on Mike Breeden to win because you feel like he's at least going to have a decent gas tank moving forward, whereas McKinney, all we've yeah. seen is round one or bust from him. So that's yeah. what I'm laying out there. Maybe maybe attack the under one and a half. Yeah, I, I do like McKinney for the finish, probably TKO. And I think what's probably yeah. going to happen here is Braden is is going to want to start a little faster in the first with the striking because I think he knows between the two of them, he has the edge with the hands, with his combinations. Yeah. He's got a little bit more power that he can put out there. Uh, but the problem is when he gets his hands going, he's good, but he gets interrupted whenever he gets taken down or even pinned on the cage. His momentum just stops, and then he's got to start all yeah. the way from the beginning. He's not one of those guys who can like be throwing good volume and then go get wrestled a little bit, come back, and be exactly the same. Yeah. He just has to start right from the beginning again. So I think McKenny will probably use that to his advantage. So if Breeden comes out strong in the first – I think McKinney will just shut him down with a lot of that cage control. It doesn't really even matter that he's not going to be hunting for a lot of takedowns. He's not even going to have a lot of activity. He just needs to keep Mike Braden from moving for a second. And then when they separate, he's got to start all the way from the beginning to build that steam up in his hands. So I think that's why McKinney can probably stay away from a knockout here. Um, and then, of course, in, in the later rounds, you've got you know the gas tank issue. Mike Braden, just anything that touches him, he tends to just fall over. So that will help. Terrence McKinney get on top and probably grind this out with like a TKO. I don't see this like being a big gas tank issue for McKinney just because of how easy it is to shut down Breeden's offense. And like, it's not going to cost McKinney much energy. The only way he doesn't make it out of the first is if he's foolish enough to just let Mike Breeden run with his hands and think, Oh, I'm going to turn this into a boxing match. That's the only way he could fuck this up. Like that. He's got the bag. Basically all you got to do is just, if you see him starting to gain a little steam, Pin him on the cage, count to 10. Doesn't even matter if you take him down. Just, just keep him there, add a little bit of cage time, release, and then go back to what you're doing. Use your range. Just do that for the first. And then by the time we're in the second, Breeden's momentum is going to be pretty much gone. And then you can hunt for a takedown and finish him out. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, like, yep. I think this one's weird. I feel like maybe under one and a half, if the if the odds are right, maybe that one. Yeah. Just because I feel like Terrence McKinney could get it done early in the second. Right, yeah. like he could come out maybe within the first minute and and get that TKO victory, but maybe finish inside the distance. I don't know. Um, looking at his record, Terrence McKinney's wins lately have been a lot of submission wins. So maybe if there's a good submission prop, you might want to go with that. Uh, just knowing that he's got the better chance of finishing here. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. But uh, let's move on to the prelim uh, main event here. We got a men's bantamweight matchup between. Marcus McKee going up against JP Bays. Marcus McGee is the minus 400 heavy favorite, whereas JP Bays is the plus 300 underdog. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, and I'm pulling up my uh, my Wikipedia here on, on these guys. Some of these names, this is the other reason I'm not super thrilled about this card. It's like, I know Bays, but McGee, I had trouble finding anything at all on McGee. This is going to be his debut. I know he fights out of MMA Lab. Um, I want to say he was fighting out of LFA before he got recruited. Um, but, oh, wait, here we go, JP Baez. And let's see, McGeef is fighting for... Doo -doo -doo. 
He was fighting out of, yeah, it was LFA. I was right. Yeah. So he got pulled up from LFA and like, look, in, in most of his professional career, he's actually been doing really well right now. He's sitting at nine and one. He has got eight KO knockout wins. He's got one submission victory, one uh, submission loss, and that's pretty much it. So the guy seems like he's, he's definitely a, an up and comer, someone who, you know, with the right training, with the right opponents could really make a difference in this division. Uh, in um, MMA lab, he's got training partners like Sean O'Malley. So he is surrounded with UFC level talent every day he shows up to train. So that usually bodes pretty well when we see these newcomers, especially from LFA, where we do have a lot of guys who are successful coming out of LFA, have long careers in the UFC. Um, and it, MMA lab is technically a jujitsu school. So even though I haven't seen it, um, he probably knows his way around grappling well enough to make sure he goes to the mat on his own terms. And if he does end up there, he can at least maybe hunt for submissions, transitions, the basics, right? Um, with buys, you pretty much know what you're getting. Oh, and three inside of the UFC. Uh, this one feels like he's maybe fighting just to keep his contract at this point. Cause like he's not been doing anything really impressive at all. Um, he has strong wrestling. That's like his one big asset, uh, but he gets kind of reckless when he's hunting for those takedowns and he eats a lot of damage, just getting in to try to take somebody down. He takes a lot of punches. Um, he has a strong submission game early in his career. That's basically what built him to the point where he's at now is just, his ability to submit when he gets to the mat, but that's at, you know, below UFC caliber fighters, right? We're now in the UFC and he's 0-3 and he can't get it done. Um, he, let's see, he's pretty active on the cage, but again, it's not really leading to a win. Um, I think his striking is a big part of that. He doesn't really have the ability to cause damage. Um, he mostly keeps his hands down a lot, so he does end up eating a lot of damage. Um, and he, he just gets knocked down a bunch of times too. Um, his chin and overall ability isn't there. Shut up. Um, but yeah, um, I think his gas tank is an issue in the later rounds. He tends to start out pretty fresh, but with his hands down and he's eating punches the whole time and, you know, he's doing cage work, all that combination means that like in the third round, he's, he's running on fumes at that point. Um, so again, I don't know really anything about McGee other than what I've been able to pull up. I haven't seen any tape on him. He did, um, he I did can see fight, why he's he, the favorite though. He did take a fight on short news and in his debut yeah. on April and he finished, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, journey, yeah, Newsom, Newsom. journey Newsom, journey Newsom. Yeah. By a very naked choke. He has Engineer power in his hands. Knows, he's pretty, he probably knows some jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty tall. He has power. He, he has a lot of finishes in his career. Uh, Journey Newsom, Luciano Roma, uh, Romanos on LFA, mm -hmm. Abe Sellers, uh, you got Ronnie Batal. He has one, two, so he has one, two, three, four, five, six, six knockouts uh, scattered between rounds one and three. He has two rear naked choke uh, submission wins on that. So he's a finisher here. Whether it's he's knocking his opponent down, that's what he did with Newsom. He knocked him down and was able to get the back of. Newsom and uh, make him tap there. And then you've got JP Bass, who's a boxer wrestler. He, he does have very good hands. He has good accuracy. He has good speed. But like you said, he likes to hone his hands down. And that's why he gets hit a lot. And his chin isn't great now because of it. He got, he's gotten hit up by in all three of those fights plenty of times. If I have to look at it now, he got 
knocked down once against Cody Durden, and then he got knocked down four times against Martel Jackson, and then Bruno uh, Silva knocked him down three times. So that's eight times in three fights that he's been knocked down because of his uh, uh, the, the striking defense has not been there because he's looking to be able to throw whenever he needs to. And then, of course, he's been taken down five times in that span as well. It's just that when he's going up against guys that can grapple or have jiu-jitsu, it's going to struggle in close combat. Uh, whereas if he's able to move around, push the pace, land, go, land, go, and then clinch up himself, that's where he's at his most successful in fights. That's what he did is Dana White contend a serious fight. He was able to install himself into it, and that's where when he's so close, he's not getting hit a lot. It's just that he's not getting close to guys because they're either hitting him from range or they're going in for the constant takedowns on him because he, he has a smaller body than a lot of these guys that he's fighting. And against Marcus McGee, he's going to be the bigger guy. He's going to have the power. He's going to have the jiu-jitsu. So it's going to be kind of hard him to fight against them when like McGee has the two inch reach advantage, he has a three inch height advantage, and he has 15 pounds on JP base as well. So he's going to be able to, to just use that body and throw it on JP base. So I like Marcus McGee, and like I think he knocks him down, and I think he gets the finish in round two. And, and, whether it's a knockdown, knockout, or submission, that remains to be seen because he does like to knock his opponent down and then take them the back. So if he does it that way, uh, submission, if not, it's a knockdown. That's why I like yeah. inside the distance here because I know it's going to happen. I just don't know which way he's going to decide to attack. So I've got Marcus McGee, round two, uh, uh, finish here. I like the under one and a half because even though I think it's going to be round two, I think it's going to be in the first minute or two of round two. And really, if it wasn't for J.P. Bays and his striking defense, I would really like his chances in this one. It's just that with his hands always down, if he doesn't block it all, he's going to get hit a lot. And with the guy with the power, McGee, it's going to be hard for him to, to take those shots and then the addition back. So. And to me, this yeah, one's easy. Yeah. Marcus McGee, round two. And then, of course, just like I said, I like the under one and a half rounds, and I like inside the distance as well. Yeah. No, this one, yeah. I think it's just because JP buys eats so much damage hunting for that, yeah. that grappling game to get it going. That's just going to play right into McGee. And I think it's going to be fruitless because I think he's going to try to hunt for those takedowns and get it to the mat. And McGee's good enough to keep it on the feet when he doesn't want to go yeah. to the mat. Meanwhile, JP Bio is just accumulating damage. Accumulate. There's only so much he can take, you know. Yeah. So yeah, this one, this one seems like it's pretty one-sided here. Even though McGee yeah. is I, sort of the unknown. Yeah, he's very unknown. But when I look at everything that he's done, it looks very well. Like, he's impressive, yeah. Uh, he's impressive. Yeah, yeah. he's is, is very impressive, and he has the power. But he he is very content. Like he's not just thrown just to throw when. Uh, Marcus he is thrown. He's hitting the target. He's like he's very poised, and it looks like he could be an impressive uh, uh, like prospect moving forward in this one. 
Like I said, he yeah. took that fight against Journey Newsom on only a couple of days' notice, and right, he got rid yeah. of him in the second round, and he dominated that fight. So yeah. that was very that's impressive pretty, yeah, there. And, and I think Journey Newsom is on a, a like a better scale than JP Bays right now mm-hmm. because at least Journey Newsom yeah. has a little bit of striking defense, and he was able to get him out with one right. knockdown. And so I think this is very cut and dry. JP Bays yeah, needs, uh, needs to do something with that striking defense, and then here, and then I'll feel better about coming at him. I know a lot of people are there on the JP Bays side right now because oh, of that wide those. margin, but it's like it's yeah. a wide margin for a reason because of right. him getting hit and knocked down eight times in three fights. That's eight times. That's so much. Yeah. That means oh, he's averaging two and a half uh, uh, knockdowns on him a fight. That's yeah. not good. That means that his chin is very bad. And when you're getting knocked down four times in just one fight, then you got to switch things up. And until I see that happening, I'm always going to pick yeah. against him. I mean, we might not even get to see the switch up happen because, again, I think this fight might be just to keep his contract. I think if he yeah. does not perform here, then we might not be seeing him again, which, like, the bantamweight is a really stacked division. So, I mean, he is just kind of taking up space at this point. Like, he doesn't belong there. And this is his chance to show that, you know, he earned his spot to get here and he deserves to keep it. But if McGee comes and makes him look like a bitch, well, like, okay, there's, you know, in one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC, we got to free up that space for somebody else who's going to, like, show up and, and like, do something about yeah. it. You know? and, that, and that's another thing, the fact that he's a flyweight naturally moving up yeah. the, the bantamweight uh once again, and he's always going to come in 10 to 15 pounds uh, lighter than oh, his yeah. opponent. So, like, he's definitely going to come in here. Of cut down. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's yeah. definitely going to come in here and look for the speed advantage and look to move around yeah. and throw. So, I like, exactly. I see a lot of different tactics from him. I just don't see him being able to avoid those uh, shots from McGee. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, and dry here. We're both on McGee by finish here, whether it's submission or by knockdown. But uh, that's all we have for that one. We're going to transition over from the prelim now to the main card. Main uh, the first fight that we have for you is a middleweight matchup between Josh Fromm, who's going up against Jamie Pickett. And then with Jamie Pickett here, uh, he is the plus 250 underdog, whereas Josh Fromm is the minus 310 Heavy favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight? I mean, I get why Pickett is is the dog here. Um, he is the one with the longer career. Well, not that much longer, but he does have more fights under his belt at this level. Uh, problem is he's uh, sitting on a three fight losing streak, and all of those finish all of those are finishes that happened before the end of the second round. So he had Kyle Dawkins finish him in the first by submission. Bo Nickel finish him in the first by submission, and. Dennis Tolulian finish him by knockout. It was a knee to the head in the second round. So um, Pickett just in general has had his issues with like people who know their way around, like either the striking or the grappling. They, like they only really got to be really strong at one of them, like just better than him to outwork him. And then he finds himself in situations where he doesn't necessarily have good answers anymore. Um, it took him two tries on the contender series to even get to the UFC and now that he's here, his overall UFC record looks like he's sitting at around uh, two and five, give or take. So I think this level of competition is a little bit outside of his reach, given his skill level. I think 
Maybe he needs to drop back down to LFA for a while, grind out some wins, get some confidence, learn, expand his game, fill in those holes. And maybe if he comes back a third time, we could see a Jamie Pickett who is competitive at middleweight, but this Jamie Pickett I don't think is. And again, Josh Fremd isn't like some treasure to the freaking middleweights. He's pretty mid. I would say he's pretty much capped at 15. Like I don't see him being a top 10 fighter anytime soon but you just got to be better than the other guy in the cage with you. And that's, that's kind of what this, this fight is, is like friend has, you know, decent striking. He likes to kind of stay at long range. He's mostly been getting his wins by decision and submission lately. Um, he lost two of his last three fights. So he is also kind of, you know, touch and go. And, and, you know, one of them was Treshawn Gore who finished him via guillotine. And after we, what we've seen with Treshawn Gore in the past, he's mostly a stand-up guy. So like you really got to screw yeah. up if the if the power striker is choking you out, you know. Um, he did come off of a win again by guillotine choke uh, from Dumas, so he is has a little bit of momentum behind him, um, but he has shown a weakness to takedowns and strong wrestlers. I don't think that's going to be a super big concern here with Pickett. Um, I mean, he has some wrestling ability, but again, you just got to be better than the other guy. Plus. I think um, when he uses his wrestling too much, Pickett has a gas tank issue. Like he will drain himself out trying to hunt for takedowns and, you know, keep people down. So that's going to definitely be something he has to deal with. Um, I think Fremd has pretty good power in his hands um, and he has pretty good control up on the cage. Um, His gas tank also starts to wane, uh, but generally he can go the distance if he needs to. He's gone to the distance in the past, so he's okay there. Um, it's the, the problem with his guesting is when he gets tired, he leaves more openings and he starts absorbing more damage. So that's why when he's typically against someone who has more power that in the long run ends up with him either losing the decision and he just takes a ton of damage or he gets straight up knocked out. Um, or in the case of like Trishango or he chokes him out because he caused enough damage to get him on the mat and figured, oh, why not? I don't have a guillotine finish. Why not just grab one of those real quick? Um, but yeah, I think friend is, is just a little bit more attractive here than Pickett. Um, I think Pickett is going to be wary of trying to rush friend to the cage, um, because of that, that power advantage and the fact that, you know, he's had problems with strong strikers like Tululian, for example, fairly recently. And I think that's going to be on his mind given that I think friend is probably going to have a slight power advantage here. Um, and there's always that threat of the guillotine. Frem does like that whenever someone shoots for takedowns. He will almost accept the takedown if he can get a guillotine in exchange. Um, and one of two of the t- Pickett's last um, losses have been by submission. So I think that's another thing he's going to be worried about. So I think he's going to want to keep that distance. Um, and it will depend on if Frem is willing to play that game with him or not. I think what he should do is press the advantage he has, close the distance, get in the driver's seat, even if he's not like knocking him around, taking him down, he, he's putting points on the card. And that's the thing is with Jimmy Pickett, um, eventually he's going to have to wrestle with Fremd at some point or another. Yeah. Either Fremd's going to get him on the cage and he's going to be forced to do counter wrestling or he's going to be, you know, getting hit hard enough to where he's like, okay, I, I need a break. And he's have to engage in the wrestling just to slow Fremd down. But regardless, we already know that when he does that too much, his gas tank isn't there and he's going to burn out. So if Fremd can start really early with a lot of pressure and really get him on the back foot, I think he can start that that energy burn much sooner to where he would and gas out before we even see the third, you know? And it's, it's so something that happens like a lot with that. him. It's yeah. something that happens a lot with Jimmy Pickett because a lot of what he's throwing striking-wise is with his legs. He's throwing a lot of leg kicks with that yeah. kickboxing style. They're throwing a little bit of hands, but 80% of his uh, volume is from his legs. 
and he, yeah. he likes to back his opponents against the cage, but then he takes too long. And it's easy to be pushed around, just like you said. He, it's easy to take him down. It's easy to push him up against the cage. He allows you to get your game going, and then he tries to counter off of it, but he does a bad job of doing so. And I've watched a lot of Josh Fromm tape on, uh, on the uh, regional scene and then in the UFC. Two of his UFC fights, he's taken on short notice, especially the Hernandez one, which was on three days notice. He got taken down eight mm. times. The Gore one, he got taken down once or twice. And I think the guillotine was a standing guillotine that he got yeah. hit with. Yeah, yeah. after he get hit with a big shot from Gore, and Gore has power in his hands. That's what I said. He just he was almost knocked out. Yeah. He was like, "Let me just grab a submission yeah. victory, just just cause I don't have one of those." Yeah, but 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 then he you really saw the kind of fighter that he was in the Sadriquez Dumas fight, where what what he likes to do, he's like he likes to push for throw throw hands with his opponent, but then he likes to throw into the clinch as well. He has really right, good yeah. Muay Thai clinch. He does, he can take you down at times. He has a wrestling background, but he doesn't overuse it. And that's sort of secondary to him now. Like if he's fighting and it presents himself to to him, he'll take his opponent down, which he did. But then he doesn't look for too much. A lot of it's thrown from a distance, uh, using that uh, distance to move around. He does good with the striking defense. It, like he could have improvements with the uh, with the takedown defense, but we've seen some from him there where he's gotten a little bit better with that. It's just that he didn't have a lot of time to prepare for a guy like Hernandez and what he is, who, who's more like a fringe top fifteen guy, and then he's making his uh, like second fight and debut, and he gets thrust into grapplers like that. And Jamie Pickett's not that. Jamie Pickett is going to be striking from a distance. I think Fromm is going to take advantage of that. And in this one, I got Fromm by second-round submission. I think he gets him uh, with either a guillotine or a rear naked choke, whichever one that he looks for, because he's going to be able to land the volume that he wants to land. And when you got a guy like Pickett who's going to back up, I think he's going to take advantage of it, take his back, and then finish him and make him tap. So. I got Josh from on this one uh, by second round uh, sub here. Minus 310 is too large, so of course no one's going to attack Shit. that. <laughs> I don't feel like Pickett is the aggressive guy to where he's going to win round one. I think uh, from is going to take this one. So really the only options you have are is under, under or over uh, one and a half rounds, whichever you feel like how long it's going to take. And then maybe throw inside the distance if you feel like he's going to finish him. But those are the only two options that I have for this fight here because of the two guys in it and the fact that Jamie Pickett isn't aggressive. He likes to counter with his leg kicks, and he's easily pushed around in fights. So I think this is Taylor mean for Josh Fromm. I think so, yeah. yeah. Let's move on to the next fight on the main card. We got a, a men's uh, matchup between uh, Tappen and Twakwi uh, going up against Dobson here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup here? Because we got Tappen who's coming in on minus 150 favorite, and then we got AJ Dobson coming in as the one plus 120 underdog. And this is that middleweight. We got Tappen and Twakwi making the move back down uh, to middleweight from late heavyweight. He has fought the last two fights, I think, at light heavyweight. 
and then he decided yeah. to make the trek back down to his normal middleweight uh, status. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense why. Like, actually, this is interesting that we have more of a dog and, and favorite situation instead of a pick'em. Both of these guys are sitting on a two-fight losing streak. Like, I mean, that's about as close as it gets to, like, ah, pick them, but because we don't know who's going to get knocked out first for a situation. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he had a lot of success at, at light heavyweight. Um, he did do it decently well against uh, Mike Rodriguez, um, but then he got two straight losses, um, Ullenberg and um, – what was that one? Merzakhanov, um, both of those guys, ended up knocking him out. So, yeah, I think he ended up trying to go up and try to hang out with the big boys, but they were a little too big for him, which is surprising because Nchukwe is a big boy. Like, he's he's bulky, and, he's meaty, he's got a lot he of muscle was, on him. And, he, was, and he, he won the first two rounds against Azmat. There's a yeah, guy on, he was so winning that fight before he got hit in yeah. round three. Yeah, so I think the, it was just the power imbalance between – the difference between, like, a power striker at 205 and a power striker at 185, I think, was just too much for him. Um but yeah, I, I think when you look back at his middleweight stuff, it's, you know, I think he did a little better. Of course, one of those wins was Jimmy Pickett. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, he did beat William Knight, but that was before William Knight or him were inside of the UFC. Um, so, I mean, he's kind of bounced around the weight divisions a little bit. I think he's still trying to find his home. Um, and what's interesting to me about this, this matchup is both of these guys don't look terrible. Like we just got done talking about, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Pickett, Josh Fremd, and uh, Buys, and Breeden, and McKenney in particular. That one was gross. Um, but this one, both guys actually look pretty decent. There's not one of them that sticks out to me as being, like, the clear underdog here in terms of, like, they lack all the skills, like, you know, Breeden and, and McKenney sort of situation. Both of these guys, I think, once they find their home, they could actually start building a name for themselves and be pretty good. Um, it's just they're in that growing pains phase right now. I feel like Dobson has decent striking. Um, he gets a little bit too focused on the counter games, uh, and it, it kills his volume. That's the big thing for him. Um, and I wouldn't categorize him as a knockout artist. So, you know, if you're not going to go that direction with the knockouts, you kind of want to address your volume issue a little more. But he has good wrestling. He has good takedown ability. Um, he's very good at mixing in knees and elbows when he's wrestling on the cage, making it just kind of an unpleasant experience. Um, but the other thing is he's durable and he has good head movement. Um, so he's able to stay out of the way out a lot of like really big shots. Most of the time, um, his last two losses were both by decision. And one of them was Armand Petrosian. The other one was Jacob Malcone guys who are, you know, known names within the division. Now uh, those guys couldn't finish him. And I feel like his biggest problem is just, he doesn't get going. He's got the tools. He's got all the all the things he could possibly need. Maybe work on his volume a little bit, but if he just would hit the gas, he would be a much better fighter. I think that's what would bring it all together. But he doesn't. He just kind of hangs out, and his pace is too slow. His volume's not there. He doesn't capitalize on those, you know, wrestling and takedown advantages when he has them, like especially on paper. He just kind of goes into every fight generally the same way, where he's just kind of going with the motion. You know, he needs to be more in the driver's seat, less content to sit in the back seat with the kids playing, you know, I spy out the window. And, and, and that's why in the first fight that he had, he was taken down six times by Malcoon. And then you go to the next fight against uh, Armand Petrosian, and he gets out volumed in this one. 
but he did yeah. have three takedowns in this one, but he was out barring. So it was like exactly. two different yeah. styles. And then he got outclassed in both of them because he couldn't get right. his game going. Then, like the first one, he tried to, of course, knock out uh, Malcoon and Malcoon right. just Not went happen. under, went under, took yeah. him down. And then the other one, he tried to grapple. And then he just right. didn't get his striking going because, of course, what yeah. he has is he has the knockout power. He has those wide uh, strikes that he likes to throw. And then he has the wrestling. And it's like, yeah. you got to know when you do it. And going up against a guy who, who has good range in tapping and chuck weed, he has knockout power. He has decent oh, yeah. grappling. You saw that in a few plates of his. And then he has good volume from a distance. And he was mm-hmm. able to hit and keep kind of uh, Azmat Merzaganov out of limited. He only threw 20 strikes that whole fight. He laid 20 strikes right. the whole fight. It's just that the last one that he had, it was when he got surprised with a shot and got knocked right. out. But right before just that, he was knocked out too. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> and before that, he was controlling the pace. He was controlling the yeah. action. He was landing. He was mixing up the leg kicks. Uh, he had a decent jab with a decent hook. And he looked really good uh, for that light heavyweight uh, uh, division right there. And then, like you said, he just got hit and rocked right there. And I think the reason he's making the move down is because of the power. And because of the guys that are 200-plus pounds, he's not going to be able to overpower them. When he goes down the middleweight, right. he's going to have a little bit of that advantage because he's usually around that 200 to 205 range. And then he cuts the weight down and they can put it back on. So it gets a guy like AJ right, Dobson, right. who's going to be wrestle, uh, looking to wrestle or to knock him out. He's going to be able to deal with that because he does have decent yeah. takedown defense and he does have power in himself. I like his leg kicks. He has that just mm-hmm. finishing power, but then he can have a fight where he racks up the volume and he paces himself around his right. opponent. So, I like Tappen and Chuck Wee on this one. I think he bounces back. Mm-hmm. There's too much unknown with AJ Dobson where he doesn't right. get the right game plan. Like he has the right ideas, like I need to do this or I need to do that. But then he does it on the wrong fight. Like he should have used the grappling against Malcoon to kind of throw him off. And then he should have used the striking against Petrosian because I think he, right. he was laying yeah. more volume against Petrosian. He had everything flipped. So it, he's going to come into this fight. And with the unknown from that, it's going to be hard to pick him. Maybe he hit, like you would think that he'd go with the wrestling here, knowing that Tappen and Chuckwee is going to look to throw, and he can kind of limit what Chuckwee does. But then he'll come out, and he's going to look to knock out Tappen because the last thing we saw from Chuckwee was the fact that he got knocked out in his knocked fight out, yeah. uh, twice, uh, once against Armberg and once against Azmat Marzana. Yep. And that's a fight him. where – and that's a fight where he probably would have done de- decently and it would have been a great fight. He just got hit. So I think right. Dobson's going to look for the finish and it's going to be his downfall because he, either he's going to get finished or he's going to just get pieced up this whole fight. So I'm going with Tappen and Chuck Wee here. I love the minus 150 uh, line on this one. It shows that he's the favorite, but it's not big enough of a margin to where I don't want to stay away from it. I'm, I'm going right, to be attacking yeah. this one because I know – how out of sorts Dobson is. So I like that. I like the over one and a half rounds on this one as well because I feel like it's going to be one of those battles where Chuckley's going to throw from kickboxing range and he's just going to look to the stuff to takedowns if they come at him because you know Dobson is going to force things out at times. And by the end of it, 
it's going to be him by uh, points because it's going to land more volume. It's going to stop the takedowns. And he could not knock out Dobson, but if he does, I think it's going to be more so later in the fight when he wears a a little bit of that gas tank down. Yeah, no, I mean, I like Chuck Wee too on this one just because if Dobson's going to win this fight, he has to win it like in the first in terms of like the groundwork has to be there or it's not going to happen at all. He has to start early with, um, you know, basically closing distance and getting the wrestling going before Nchekwe kind of has enough time to make those reads. Because once he makes those reads, then he's going to start throwing. But I think he's going to be a little bit more conserved on the front end because Dobson does have pretty decent stand-up. Like I said, he's got all the tools in the toolbox. He can't bring them together. The game plan, like you were talking about, that's, I think, a big part of it. I think the other part of yep. it is even if he has a good game plan, he doesn't execute. That's that's always sometimes an issue where you have good coaches telling you what to do and then you get in there and you don't fucking do it for whatever reason. So if Dobson wants to win this, he has to start early, like fresh out of the gate. As soon as the fight starts, he needs to be shooting for takedowns just to run him to the cage, not even to take him down, just to get him there to shut down the striking altogether. So in check, he has no time to make any reads. He's starting to get tired, make him carry his weight for a little while. Um, and he's going to have to keep that up probably through most of the first and the second, because if he just tries to stand and trade, um, that opens the door for Nchekwe to make those reads. And of course, he is the bigger, beefier guy here. So I would say the puncher's chance definitely favors him way more than Dobson, especially because Dobson, um, you know, he doesn't throw power in the same way. I think what yeah. he tries to do is have damage accumulate, and then he gets the big punch later on. Yeah. Nchekwe could turn out the lights whenever he wants. He's such a big guy. Um, and if you're just going to try to stand and, then, and trade with him, he's just going to amp up the intensity, and that just makes it and then, more and more likely. Something like and that's then all, all of his finishes for Dobson are round one, so it yeah. showcases that like he does a lot in round one. He comes out fast, and then he lands yeah. a lot of uh, like volume, and then gets that blow. But then when he doesn't get that started, he doesn't get those takedowns. Yeah, he stops never happens, yeah. everything, <laughs> and then that that's yeah. just going to benefit right into Chuckwee's corner right there because uh, right. the captain and Chuckwee can do a little bit of everything, especially from range. So uh, you're either right. going to see Dobson get out in front right away and do damage, or you're going to see him get stuffed, and then Chuckwee's just going to land a lot on him and either eventually finish him or just win by decision. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, even if Dobson decides to get the wrestling going early, he's going to have a hard time because of how, like, in trick we size. Not only does he have decent wrestling yeah. himself and good takedown defense, he's a big boy. So even if you have the perfect setup and you got your hands in the right place and you have the right angle, lifting yeah. and check we and taking him down very, very different than, you know, when he was trying to even take down Petrosian or Malcone, those are two very different body frames, very different distributions of weight, you know, fat to muscle ratio. It's it's just going to be a much harder battle because you just have a, a physically bigger guy who, again, was was com- was competing at 205. He wasn't necessarily competitive, but, you know, yeah. AJ Dobson doesn't have that 205 frame and Checkley does. So, yeah. yeah, I think that just this has a for, for Dobson to win, he has to play a perfect game. But to execute that perfect game, there's a ton of roadblocks in the way. And he's not the guy who is, you know, aggressive enough and, and you know, like a dog enough to really overcome those obstacles, especially lately, I think. I think the more obstacles in his way, the more he just kind of goes with the flow sort of situation instead of trying to capitalize on the things that would win him that fight. 
He's just trying to try to keep his head above water, essentially, like he's doggy paddling. And what's great, and what's crazy is that and that fight with the in Czechia and CFFC, that was a catchweight mm-hmm. fight at 225. Yep. So that he yep. he was able to put two, uh, 25 <laughs> more pounds on, and he was still able to yeah. finish William Knight in the first round. So that showcases yeah. that he does have the power. Uh, to oh, finish yeah. guys he's not just uh, all about the distance so it's like uh, you look at that he, he's going to be the heavier guy it's going to give him more of a base to stuff those takedowns of Dobson if he looks to do so and he's going to have the more wide range of striking attacks whereas I think Dobson's more limited he's very limited to the just those overhand wide uh, yeah. knockout blows and then the occasional inside shot but it's definitely uh, more limited than what you're going to see from in Chuck Wee because he can throw leg kicks. He can throw a, a little bit of the jab, a little bit of the cross, and then the overhand shot as well. So he's going to be able yeah. to connect more, whereas Dobson's going to be forcing more most of those shots because he's more of the grappler uh, on all. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this one feels pretty easy to me. Yep. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got a women's strawweight matchup between Pollyanna. Uh, Viana versus Yasmin Lucindo. You got Payana, uh, Viana, who's the plus 160 underdog, whereas Lucindo is the minus 190 favorite. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? I don't know who the fuck the matchmaker was for this, but like they have a recurring theme just throughout this whole card, right? Where you've got like one one fighter, in this case, Viana. Um, she is coming off of a, a pretty, pretty impressive knockout of uh, Jin Yu Frey. Um, but her default approach is low volume, counter striking, you know, very passive, willing to accept the bottom position when she's taken down and just doesn't really do anything from there. She'll hunt for submissions, but she's not going to be the one trying to do reversals or hunt for a better position. So pretty much every time she hits the mat, she just burns out the time and loses on the cards because like she just doesn't do anything. And it's not any better when she's standing up. Versus you have her polar opposite, Lucindo, who is a dog on the feet. Like she has that Muay Thai style. She's got a lot of good power. She likes to get in and just brawl with you. And she's got that aggression, that forward pressure, which helps her accumulate points on the cards. So even if she can't knock you out, she is at least looking impressive while she's coming after you. Um, She has a good chin. She's durable. So um, that does help because she does tend to eat a lot of damage in some of those brawling exchanges, especially when she kind of gets all amped up and everything in the later rounds, she resorts to bigger looping punches. And that tends to mean she gets punched in the face a lot more uh, just from like counter shots and stuff. Um, She has good control when she's wrestling and she's very good at uh, like moving into the cage and mixing in those vicious knees. Uh, Not big on takedown. She'll come at, come in, pressure you cause some damage. And then she wants a separation so she can go back to brawling with you a little bit. Um, so against like a, a better grappler, sometimes that can be an issue when she can't get that separation and the better grappler wants to be like, no, no, no. I like, I like grappling here. I want to take you, drag you into deep waters and test out your wrestling gas tank instead of your striking one. Right. Um, so I think like Vienna, just like, she's not showing me anything that would be a threat to Lucindo is the problem. Like she's, she's too passive in the striking. She's too passive in the, uh, on the, on the ground. The most activity I've saw, the most aggression I saw was in her last fight against Jen Yu Frey. The problem is, uh, if you look at kind of who Jen Yu Frey is, it, that's not really somebody who belongs inside the UFC. She is 
pretty much outclassed at this level. I'm going to pull her record just so I can see, but I, I looked at it because I was wondering, like, how did she get that knockout just out of nowhere? Like, that's kind of crazy. Uh, and it happened so fast. I was like, I didn't even really get to take my measure of Jen Frey in that fight. Um, but yeah, inside the UFC, she's had a fairly long career. She is sitting at uh, two and five with three losses back to back. One of them was Elise Reed. That was the most recent by decision. She got, uh, or yeah, knocked out by Vienna. That was two fights ago. And then Vanessa, uh, Vanessa Demopoulos was a split decision. So it seems like she's largely a decision fighter to begin with. And then you put her at the you know level of the UFC caliber fighters and, you know, the decision fighter doesn't do as well, especially when they can't get anything really going. Um, I could see why Vienna would have had a chance against a fighter like that, because she is also kind of a fighter like that. In my opinion, I, I think that is a good sort of description of her, her style to where she's too timid on the hands, too timid on the mat to really get anything done. That's why Tabitha Ricci pretty much just destroyed her literally the fight before she got that knockout, just absolutely wrecked her. Because like when, on, when she was on the hands, Tabitha Ricci clearly was in kind of like a growing phase at the time with her striking. It wasn't the best. It wasn't super crisp or technical yet. Um, but like, you know, she was, you know, she was willing to throw a few and then, you know, uh, Vienna would trade back some counters and they'd kind of trade back and forth. But then Ricci would eventually decide, OK, I'm done with this. And then she would get the takedown and Vienna would like basically just go down. Like there was not a whole lot of resistance there for Ricci. And then once they were there, all Vienna did was just lock the guard for some weird reason. Like she threw a body triangle from the bottom position in a front guard, which I mean, she was sort of hunting for submissions, but not in any serious way. It looked a lot like when uh, we looked at Charles Oliveira versus, uh, uh, um, oh, come on, Dustin Poirier. In that fight, whenever uh, Charles Oliveira got him down, Dustin Poirier knew he didn't really want to try to do jujitsu with Charles Oliveira for obvious reasons. So what did he do? He locked up the guard and he just held onto the head and burned out the clock because he's like, well, we got five rounds, so I'll just have to do better on the next one. That's what it kind of felt like was going on with Vienna in the, in the Tabitha Ricci fight. So, I mean, if you got one fighter who's a dog and the other one who's just way too passive to get any form of offense going at any time, you got to go with the dog every time, you know? I think if Vienna tries to stand and trade, she's going to get overwhelmed, probably knocked out. If she goes to the mat, she's just going to burn out the clock on her back in a locked guard, not accumulating points, not even really attempting any you know submissions in any significant way that could potentially work. So either she's going to get finished or she's just going to lose on the cards because she can't get that offense going when it needs to get going. Whereas Lucinda or Lucinda absolutely can do that. That's a big part of her game. Um, and here, if Vienna was more active about the, the grappling aspect, that would be her path to victory because Lucinda, while she can um, do some grappling, she clearly is not really comfortable there. She wants to stay on the feet. She wants to stay striking. Um, even trying to take takedowns off the cage for like ground and pound finish isn't really her style. So if Vienna could maybe leverage that and then try to force the fight into more of a grappling situation and be very active, maybe instead of taking the bottom, try to take the top position, that would be how she has to win this. But in order for her to do that, she would have to be willing to run towards danger, run towards the big powerful strikes of Lucindo, try to find those openings and, you know, take some damage in the process because you're not going to get out of that with no damage, especially if you're playing a, 
a heavy counter-striking game. And I just don't think she's she's going to do that here. And I can see why the odds are the way they are. I think that Lucinda's just going to walk right through her. Probably, um, I'd say maybe first, second round finish. But if uh, Vienna does end up getting taken down and wants to burn out the, the clock just in a locked guard and front guard, then it might be a decision. But I don't really see a path to victory here for Vienna. Yeah, looking at looking at a couple of these fights uh, for each of them. Of course, Yasmin Lucindo has two fights. She had that really fun one against uh, uh, Yasmin Uruguay, where it was eighty six to sixty six. There was a nice striking battle, and then she comes in and beats Brogan Walker. It was kind of a very boring fight where she controlled the majority of it. She landed fifty three mm-hmm. strikes at four takedowns. And everybody knows that Brogan Walker is very easily uh, taken down in fights now. And then you had Pollyanna Viana, like you said. She's more of a high-level jiu-jitsu artist looking for submissions. Three of her last uh, four fights, she's won by uh, finish, two subs, uh, and then a knockout uh, over an aged Ginny Frey. But she's going to be one of those ones looking to hunt for the armbar. She can get that from a lot of different angles, and she can take people down. But in fights, it's going to be majority of her just looking to throw those wide shots. She's still developing the striking. She's gotten a lot better with it, but it's still in the developing stages. And she, I think in this one, she's going to be hunting for that arm bar. She's notorious for always attacking for it, and you're dropping the. Uh, bottom guard to go and try and grab the arm and go for it. So she's going to give Lucinda a lot of chances to get in top guard and to throw with her. Lucinda is very underrated with how accurate she can be. It's just that I think if there was anybody in that Uruguay fight that she was fighting instead, she would have won that one. It's just that you had two accurate strikers. Neither of them were really looking to take anybody down. And then she just got just out volumed in that one. So in this one, it's very tough because I do think that she's going to be exposed within the grappling of Viana because it's a little bit different. You got Viana, who I believe, just height and weight-wise, yeah, she's going to have a one-inch reach advantage and two-inch height, so it's not too big. Plus, Lucinda is going to have 10 pounds on Pollyanna Viana uh, on top of that uh, with that one. So that's going to play a big factor there. This was very 50-50 for me because I could see Viana coming in and using a range uh, to uh, land a couple big blows on her and then to take her and get the arm bar. But then if that doesn't work, I could see uh, Yasmin Lucindo just piecing Viana apart, looking to push her up against the cage, being safe with, with that because she knows that she could get attacked by a black belt in Viana. Mm-hmm. And then just laying in volume on Viana, attacking the head, yeah. attacking the body, and just doing that. So I lean with the favorite here just because of that because I feel like Lucindo could win a, a decision and win by volume, whereas I feel like Viana's going to need the win by finish. In she has to. Yeah, there's no other yeah, way. No. There's no other way because she doesn't pour out enough volume in fights. Looking at volume in all of our fights, Junior Frey, she landed 11 strikes. That's it. Yeah. And, and she went in round one. Yeah. There's 11 strikes. good strikes, though. <laughs> they were good strikes. <laughs> yeah. 
She landed. She landed more than Ricci, thirty-six to thirty-three, mm-hmm. but she got taken down five. She got the yeah. armbar uh, on Mallory Martin in round one. She got the armbar against Emily Whitmire round one. Veronica Hardy, one strike, and she lost by armbar. So that's something crazy. Yeah. Anna Schaefer, she landed seventy-seven, yeah. but she got knocked down in that one, so she lost by a uh, decision. JJ Aldridge, she had more. Uh, strikes 46 to 40 and a takedown, but for some reason she lost that one. And then she yeah. beat uh, Maya Stevenson by a first round rear naked choke and had strong strikes. So we really haven't seen, other than that one fight with uh, uh, Hannah Cyphers, how much volume she can pour out because she's either going to lose by decision where you don't see much of it uh, being thrown or she gets that uh, finish early in the first round by uh, armbar slash submission. So I'm going to go with a safe bet here. Go Yasmin Lucindo by decision. I think she lands the volume, and I think she avoids the chokes. And I think it's yeah. very unanimous on this one. I can see that. I mean, I feel like I think Vienna could potentially be a lot better but she came to the UFC maybe too early, like in her development as a fighter. I think that, you know, maybe getting here at the time she did, like you see, she won her, her debut and then she went on a three, three uh, fight losing streak. And then she had a two fight winning streak and then a loss and then a win. Like that seems to me like there's not a lot of stability here to where she's not really comfortable at this level yet. Now she yeah. could just kind of tough it out and just stay in the UFC and kind of do this win loss checkerboard pattern. Um, but I think it, it would actually be more beneficial if she ended up getting cut after this fight, went back down to like an LFA and Victa, something like that, where uh, she would be the big fish in a smaller pond. And that would give her some time to really refine like the striking, for example, is something that really needs to go a long way. But it's not going to happen at this level. It's, it's going to happen at a level where everybody's kind of still developing their striking. That way you're with other people who are still learning. So you have the opportunity to learn a little bit uh, mm-hmm. with your peers but, um, you know, when, when you fail, it's not like on a global stage, you know, yeah. it's not and as she's bad. Still, you have and she's only 31 and she's only 31. So she's exactly. still she's relatively young. Left. Yeah. It's just that when you look at her being 31, Lucinda's 21. So she's yeah. going to have <laughs> 10 years yeah. on Tiana Viana, who looks like she's yeah. one of the youngest people on the roster. And to think right. that she has 10 years on Lucindo is just very crazy. crazy. But yeah. right. but I like the volume uh, aspect of things Same. for Lucindo. I like her yeah. in, in by decision in this one. Minus 190 isn't that bad. I think maybe it could get better towards the fight. And then even maybe you look at it and you, you know how offensive with the attack on the armbar Pagliano Viana is – early in the first round, maybe you can play the live odds here and hope that that's what happens. And then maybe you get a better line on Lucindo going into round two. But I definitely like the over one and a half year. I like the decision aspect of things because I really don't see, I really haven't seen much from a power standpoint from Lucindo to think that she's going to get a finish. But I think that she can definitely win by volume. So, I think really this one is really limited to over one and a half decision as well, and then live bet after round one. Yeah, no, I think that's that's probably the safest way to do it. Yep. Let's move on to the uh, featured bout on this card. We got a light heavyweight matchup 
between Khalir Roundtree going up against Chris Darkus, making the move down from heavyweight to light heavyweight. Khalir Roundtree is the minus 205 favorite, whereas Chris Darkus is the plus 170 underdog. Uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup? This one, it's interesting that Dawkins is deciding to move down to light heavyweight, especially like right there in the picture. You can see, like, I remember when he was still doing heavyweight fights, which was a while ago at this point, it feels like. Yeah, last one was Rosenstroke. That was okay. It was December of last year, so not as long as it feels. But um, he was kind of slimming down with each fight. Like when he was fighting Alexi Olenek, for example, he was carrying a lot of extra weight. And then when you see him in like the Curtis Blades fight, you can definitely tell the difference. He's been leaning up a little bit. He's been, you know, really working on, I guess, his gas tank, his cardio, all these different things in the gym. Um, but then he comes out to the mat and with the big boys, with the heavy boys, the power strikers are just wrecking him, right? Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades, Drazino Rosenstruck, all of them just finished him either in the first or second round. Curtis Blades uh, did it in 17 seconds on the second. So that's pretty close to a first round finish. Um, and I think that was the big weakness for Dawkins is that um, he has the wrestling ability. He has that background, but I think he fell in love with the striking and he just refuses to not strike, even though like Derek Lewis, for example, would have been a great Rosenstreak as well. Great opportunity to employ that wrestling and turn the tables on these guys who, yeah, are definitely the more powerful strikers, but he probably could have ground them out gotten him tired. And then in a second or third round, he could have had his way with the striking if he wanted to. But again, the, 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 you know, grappling aspect of his game, we haven't seen it in so long. It's sort of like this mythical thing that we, we talk about and be like, Oh yeah, he, he can do that. Right. Like it exists, I think, because we never really see it. I think he loves the striking too much, but at least if he's moving down to light heavyweight, he'll be the bigger boy, right? Like he has to cut more, um, my, my thinking is like, he was pretty much like at the uh, divisional limit when he was heavyweight. So if he's yeah. cutting weight, he's probably sitting somewhere in like the two thirty range. Um, so he, he's probably making a sizable cut to get to two Oh five. But if he's new, uh, doing his nutrition and hydration properly, that weight is going to come back to him and he's going to have it on fight night. So he is probably going to be the bigger boy, giving him uh, a power advantage at two Oh five that he did not have at heavyweight. Um, and against Khalil Roundtree, I feel like, again, like Chris Dawkins is one of those, like, you know, he goes really, really hard, really, really early. And with uh, the last three fights in particular, those guys were good enough and had enough power to where they just caught him and that was it. Like he was, yeah. he got shut down. And then when he was up against guys like Sh uh, Shamil Abdurahimov, Olenek, Nascimento, Parker Porter. He was able to put them away pretty quickly, I think because of the skill differential. So it kind of depends who's in front of him. We haven't really seen what it looks like to have Chris Dawkins go three hard rounds in the UFC and come to a decision yet. We haven't seen that. It's either all or nothing so far. I think maybe at light heavyweight, um, we might actually get to see that. Khalil Roundtree is more of a measured paced fighter. He does have power. He has creativity. Um, he has pretty decent takedown defense, but he plays the long game. Um, although he does uh, a lot of like counter offensive. So like the Justin Jacoby fight, I think Jacoby out, out um, struck him. Uh, but the power advantage was definitely for uh, Khalil Roundtree in that fight. Like he commanded respects with those hands from Justin Jacoby. So Jacoby had to be more light on his feet. He had to be touch and go, but he was doing more activity. And that's ultimately what won the day there. 
Um, so I'm curious to see, will Chris Dawkins kind of go back to what he's always done, like really fast start, balls to the wall first round, trying to just put him away early? Because I think if he does that, that's not necessarily going to be the best strategy with Khalil Roundtree, um, just because of how compromised his chin is. Like he got knocked out by some of the heaviest, strongest knockout artists in our heavyweight division here. And that's, you can't tell me that doesn't have long lasting effects. Yeah. Like his chin is nowhere near what it used to be when he was heavyweight. I think coming down, the guys will be striking a little like they won't be as hard. But I think over time, enough of those strikes will add up quickly. And Khalil Roundtree is a power striker at 205. And in his case in particular, he's very good at once he sees your stun, he will close the distance and just unload on you. And those strikes are very, very heavy. And there's a lot of them and, coming all at and once. And then he kind of, so there doesn't need to be one big one. Yeah. And then he kind of added to his repertoire a couple of fights ago where he went over to Thailand and started to practice Muay Thai and yeah. got really good with those leg kicks. And you've seen what he can do with those. He has his vicious yeah. leg kicks. I believe which fight is it where he kind of just buckled the knee of his opponent? Oh, uh, yeah, that was – I think that was – no, it was um, Dukakis. Dukakis. That was it. Yeah, yes. I remember that. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That which was, That's what I'm saying. Very He's very crazy. creative. He thinks outside the and box. Then, very and then Bukakis went back to the regional scene, got a lot better, and now he looks like a very threatening uh, fighter now because he kind of yeah. changed his game plan up, and that was one of the fights that kind of helped him out. He had to be less passive, more aggressive, but be more yeah. methodical with it, with himself here. And you're going to have Chris Dawkins, who really – he can grapple, wrestle with you, but he's going to come in there and look to knock you out. That's the, that's what he's programmed to do right now because he's only gone out of the first round once or twice. And he, yeah. in the last three fights, he's gotten caught by guys that have pound on their hands and are gunning for that knockout. The first three, four fights were guys that either grappled or were on the way out and, yeah. because they were old for the division right now. Oh, He's going to guy in Carolina Rantree who's very fresh yeah. right now. He has power. He has the distance game with the leg kicks now that he has the Muay Thai training there. And I just see him finishing darkest round one. I think that's what it's going to yeah. be. I think at this point, darkest Ray can't change things up because he's at that age to where you're kind of like, it's hard for you to switch things up. You're going to change your division, but it's going to be very the same uh uh, kind of finish here. It's he's going to hunt for the knockout. You're going to have clear round tree, who's going to be able to use that range to kind of avoid the counter and a land uh, a shot right at the face of Dawkins. I think those leg kicks are going to play a big factor in this fight to slow mm -hmm. down Dawkins as well because it's not just any leg kick; they're vicious. Like he has oh, those yeah. uh, oh, snapping yeah. leg kicks that very you hear the sound and then they hurt. So if he lands enough of those, it's going to dramatically slow down Darkest, and he's going to be an easier target to land on because he's going to be slowed down. So I really like the the, the finishing aspect of things around Tree. He's yeah. minus 205, but I bet you people, are, if you wait until Friday, you're going to have people who are going to attack the Chris Darkest line because he has that finishing yeah. capability. You might get a better line there, but more so – Definitely attack the under one and a half rounds on this one because I haven't seen the darkest fight go two rounds yet. And both right, these guys yeah. are finishers. So, so yeah. even if darkest finishes round sure. three, round one, 
you're gonna get it there and then yeah, i like yeah, claire roundtree inside the distance because i like chances with him and more so with the uh, with the knockout uh, chances there but you never know so i i might yeah. even attack the, the ko prime because you might get a even odds on that yeah i think for kyle doc or chris docus this is just a lose-lose fight no matter what so like yeah. let's say he does come out like his old self i think one of the things khalil roundtree does very well is he has really good defense um, and he is willing to match pace for pace. If he has his way, he wants more of like the long game. But if you want to go, he'll go. Like, okay, let's let's go ahead and brawl. And I think at that 205 weight, Roundtree is more effective with his uh, with his power than Christakis would be. Um, and of course, Christakis has all the issues with his chin now because of how badly he's been knocked out. That's going to have long-lasting implications, and Roundtree can absolutely capitalize on that. Um, on top of that, like, Docus won't think to get the wrestling involved. Let's say he catches Roundtree with something. Roundtree will get the wrestling involved. Like he, yeah. he will get into the driver's seat and that will kill Docus's momentum right there. And then once they get the separation, Khalil Roundtree will be like, okay, now it's my turn to go first. Now let's say we see a different Chris Docus. He comes out, he's trying to change up his style, you know, new weight, 205. He's thinking, okay, maybe I'm going to slow my pace down, be a little more methodical with it. I think it would be like the bigger version of Terrence McKinney, basically. Like he would slow the pace so much, but then we would see all the other holes that the very fast pace was hiding from us before. Because when you weaponize pace, it's it's the flurry of everything going on. You know, technique kind of goes out the window. So you're not as worried about like, oh, I have a gap here in my guard or, oh, I'm not great when I get into this position on the cage. I tend to get taken down a lot. If you're just balls to the wall and it's just who breaks first – and you tend to come out on top and the other guy breaks, that hides a lot of what you're you're struggling with. So if he comes in and tries to change it up now and tries to be more methodical, I think there's going to be glaring holes in his game, and that's not something you can have going up against a guy like Khalil Roundtree. And it's not like Chris Dawkins, you know, if he slows down, is going to be a big volume guy. Even when he goes yeah. balls to the wall, these are big swinging shots. So a big part of why we've never seen a second round is because when we do – and the one time, like recently, that he did with uh, uh, what was it that he got? Oh, C Curtis Blades, like he gasses yeah. himself out. So all the volume is going to be in the first round, right there. So if either yeah. make it fast, but I mean, I feel like if he tried to slow down the pace, he would just be a counteroffensive striker because he's still hunting for the knockout. He's not thinking like, well, let me put points on the board and then worry about the knockout in the third round. No, I think he wants to take your head off in the first. So he has to hold himself back. What does that look like? That looks like not enough activity. That looks like waiting for those openings to just throw something big and try to end the whole thing. And then when you look at the actual stats, he threw like 15 punches the whole round, like that sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't yeah, think it works in any way you slice it. We're on the same uh, round with this one. Blair Roundtree is definitely the guy to pick in this one. You can take your chances yeah. with the over-under, with the finishing props, but I think more than likely this is going to be a round one finish here and with the different sure. attacks that Roundtree has and the limited capabilities other than the power knockout blows that Darkus is going to try and just wear at him. And for some reason, I'm just picturing him throwing, looking for the knockout, Roundtree countering with the leg kick, and then him falling on the ground. For some reason, I'm just picturing <laughs> that right now. Uh, and if that happens, I'm going to laugh. But uh, let's go. move on to the co-main event of the evening here. We have a men's uh, matchup in the featherweight division between uh, Cub Swanson versus Hakeem Dewadu. 
Cubs Swanson is the plus 200 underdog. Hakeem Dewado is the minus 250 favorite. This is Cub Swanson's uh, move back down the featherweight. Uh, he tried, uh, no, he moved back up the featherweight. My bad. He moved yeah, down go, yeah. to weight and tried it, it with the Jonathan Martinez and got <laughs> pieced up. So now he's yeah. doing this one. A lot of people think this is going to be his retirement fight. There hasn't been any word of it yet, but a lot of people are rumoring to say that. But what are your thoughts on I this fight? I mean, I feel like Cub Swanson needs to retire just because it's like at this point, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and the tricks he's doing aren't working. Like just the Jonathan Martinez fight, for example. Just look at what happened there. Jonathan Martinez is not a big grappler. I think he has like what a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu versus Cub Swanson's very decorated grappling background. He's got a lot of, uh, I think he's a black belt. Um, I think he did some, some wrestling, like He's a pretty credentialed grappler. You wouldn't know it by his style, but yeah, he can mix it up on the mat. So against a guy like Martinez, who is really good with his hands, who has the striking there, you would think that he'd go, oh, okay, I should probably focus on my grappling because that's the thing I can do that he can't really. So that's how I'm going to win this is I'm going to use the assets I have against the guy who doesn't have those assets, right? Especially when it comes to like grappling and wrestling, that's a super easy way to start stacking up points, have the other guy fall behind, and then all of a sudden you guys are sitting in the third round. You're up to just because you're the better wrestler and grappler and you've just maintained control of the fight. You just managed your opponent, and now they're really desperate and they're just going to be hunting for you know, a, a knockout or anything they can get because they know they have to finish. Uh, meanwhile, all you got to do is stay the course and you're going to win no matter what. So, but like he, same thing with Giga Jakadze. You'd think with like a kickboxer, the most obvious strategy would be don't kickbox with him, dumbass. But what did he do? He decided, oh, I'm going to try to go toe to toe with Giga Jakadze and he got knocked the fuck out. Um, he was able to stand with Darren Elkins, but Darren Elkins I mean, his nickname is The Damage because of how much fucking damage he's accumulated over his career. Like, look at his freaking face. Like, the dude just just eats a lot uh, in terms of ground to pound, in terms of stand-up. Um, he's got a good gas tank, but I think he's also one of those, like, golden oldie fighters who's probably on his way out. He's had a lot of, uh, you know, wear and tear, a lot of battle scars over the years. So um, with Cub Swanson, I feel like, he's going to make the mistake of trying to stand and trade with Hakeem Dawadu. And Hakeem Dawadu, I think, has definitely a lot of areas he needs to work on. Um, he was able to win against Michael Trezano. But when you see him go up against someone who um, utilizes the wrestling like they're supposed to, um, even just up against the cage, that's enough to slow him down. Like Mavisar um, Vloyev absolutely obliterated him. And all he had to do was take his back and just hang out there for three rounds. That's literally it. And it was funny because Hakeem Duwadu almost finished him in the third. He wobbled him like twice. And if he had had maybe one one more round to keep Mavisar on the feet and make it a kickboxing match, he could have won that fight maybe by knockout. Um, because Mavisar has had some like uh, issues with impact and he's not super great at like with his chin and stuff. And Hakeem Duwadu does have a lot of power in his hands. Now, Cub Swanson could do exactly what Ivloyev did to Duwadu. He could just hunt for a takedown on the cage, take his back, and just hang out there, you know, early in the first, figure out the timing, figure out the distance, do it again in the second. 
rinse and repeat for the whole fight, and he could easily take this win, maybe even choke him out if he gets to Wadu uh, frustrated enough, starts making little mistakes. He could probably finish him with rear naked choke. But he's not going to do that. I think he's going to stand right in front of Hakeem Dawadu, who's a big boy for featherweight, who's got power in his hands, a clear weakness for like heavy, heavy grapplers, heavy, heavy wrestlers. He's been working on it, but you know that doesn't cover the gap in terms of experience and credentials that Cub Swanson would have. To where if he wanted that game plan, he could do it, and uh, Hakeem Dawadu wouldn't have a whole lot of ways of stopping him. But I think what we're going to see is Cub Swanson is going to go in there, stand in front of him. They're going to trade for a little bit. Um, Hakeem Dawadu, I think, has a possibility of knocking him out. But if you look at his record recently, um, he hasn't had a knockout in a while. His last knockout was 2019. Um, so at the very least, I think he could uh, use his range to keep Swanson off of him, especially with more of the big, heavy, looping, wild punches that Swanson does when things aren't going his way and he's kind of hunting for that takedown or I'm sorry, the finish. Um, and at the very least, even if he can't finish the guy, he's, you know, accumulating damage. I think Dewadu's range is going to kind of neutralize that a little bit, make it real hard, excuse me, real hard for him to get inside the pocket. So all Dewadu has to do is just keep it on the feet, keep it a kickboxing match, and he could probably just outvolume him um, and then probably take rounds where maybe the volume isn't there, but the damage is. Um, and that's kind of how Duim, uh, Hakeem Dewadu has been winning his decisions is even if he's not putting up the numbers, you can tell he's hurting the opponents enough to where it sways the judges for the round. Um, so I feel like Cub Swanson, you know, after all these years, all that battle damage, because his chin is where it is, maybe a third round knockout is possible, but I would really like uh, the decision on this one for Dewadu, just because I think Cub Swanson is going to execute the wrong game plan again, and it's just not going to go his way. One thing I love like about Hakeem Dewadu is the fact that he likes to push his opponents along the fence and then kind of Hold him up there. That's like something new he's been doing. That's something new he's employed, and he's getting yeah, really yeah. good at it too. Yeah, yeah. and you've yeah. seen that. You've seen a lot of things where it's like he only has fifty strikes, but then you look very into it. It's like, oh, he's controlling his opponent for like one to two yeah. minutes along the fence. It's just controlling, wearing them out, throwing a little bit of elbows, a little bit of knees, and then striking. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of blood sport with that one. Uh, uh, one guy that's running on his knees, on his high knees, and then he just goes up, <laughs> jumps up, and lands the the flying yeah. knee on you. It kind of reminds me yeah. of him. But he's going to come in there, and he's going to try and like shorten the distance because Cub Swanson's very good at that distance game. And we know Cub Swanson's going to just stand up and trade with you, throw with you. He has knockout power. Yeah. He can get the volume count up. But Hakeem is going to look to kind of get up, clinch up with him, Get that dirty boxing going. Just get the, uh, the the dirty striking going, and it's going to be a lot of pushing up against the fence, laying it inside that clinch, and that's where it's going to benefit Hakeem Dawadu, is when they're not at range from each other when they're like this. That's where it's going to be beneficial to him. And just like you said, he's just started incorporating that in the last couple of fights. Uh, I kind of like want to chalk out Dre Narosa because he had that three inch reach advantage. And height advantage on Dewadu, so he was able to use that to his advantage. Here, Dewadu is going to have the advantage here, I believe, on both. And then the only thing where Cub Swanson is going to have is the weight. So we'll, yeah. and we're, you're not going to be able to reuse the weight too much unless you grapple. And Cub Swanson doesn't do much know. of that. He's a striker. Uh, so the only thing he can use that for is to kind of put a little bit more torque on his, 
on his punches, and he's going to have to knock Duarte uh, out for it to really have any uh, game plan into that. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Hakeem Duarte is going to control him along the fence several times. This is going to be one of those – I'm not going to say boring – but it's Neil Magny like, style oh, fights. Yeah, Neil Magny style <laughs> fight where he's going to throw him there. He's going to hang on him, throw within the clinch, limit what Swanson does. He's going to wear him out, and it's going to be fresh for him because he has a pretty decent gas tank, and he's going to just grease out a, a decision victory over at mm. the longtime vet in Swanson because this guy's been around since WEC. I think he's yeah. the only guy left – uh, from that era, <laughs> yeah. Swanson. Yep, that was back in 2007. He made his debut debut in WEC. 2007. That's insane. Yeah, so, yeah. I, th- I think it's just time for him to go. You yeah, know, exactly. Too much. Too and, much. and he's not going. And he's already past the point, of course, where he can make changes. So it's like more than likely this, this is his last fight. We at least seen Hakeem Dorado make the changes uh, to his game. He was able to get in here and kind of diversify himself a little bit. He's 32 and you got uh, Swanson who's 39. So there's definitely that age gap and you, and Duarte hit just hit it right at the nail. He was like, he was 31. He had to make the change and he made it because you want to make it before yeah. 35, 35 is that mark yeah. where once you get to that point, there's really no change. Yeah. He was able to make that change. It's very positive. I think he gets back in the wind column here because of yeah. it, and it gives him more outs to where that he can work with. He can grapple with Swanson. He can strike from range and then push him up against the cage. As long as he avoids uh, that uh, the shots from Swanson from outside, he should be uh, golden in this one. That's why he's in my 250 favorite is the yeah. attack from Dewadu and him being able to avoid what Swanson is trying to get, which is that boxing style uh, back and forth. So yeah. I don't like the minus 250 line. I think it's too big. Maybe a lot of people decide to go and Cub Swanson because they know that he's going to want to go out on a high note. So maybe I'll wait and see if that number uh, goes down a little bit. But more so, I'd like to over one and a half rounds on this one. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I might look and maybe attack it live and maybe come Swanson. Yeah. It has a really good first round and then attack it and got Hakeem Dewadu. But other than that, I really just looked over one and a half yeah. rounds. Yeah. Cause I mean, Cub Swanson's freshest. So that tends to be his best round yeah. is the first. And then he kind of dwindles after that, but that's, that doesn't guarantee he's going to take the round though, by any stretch of the exactly. imagination. Cause I mean, Hakeem in the past has been kind of a slower starter, but now that he's incorporating the the wrestling up against the cage, it doesn't really matter. I think if Cub Swanson catches him with something, it's just going to go right to the cage. And then if he needs to grind out the rest of the time just like that, he can do it. So it's like even if he's throwing knees, there's no threat of a takedown. So, like, what are you worried about, you know? Yeah. But let's move on to the main event of the evening. We got a men's welterweight matchup between Vicente Luque going up against Rafael Dos Anjos. And Luque is the plus 110 underdog, whereas Rafael Dos Anjos is the minus 130 uh, favorite. Usually Dos Anjos has been fighting at lightweight, but this is his mm-hmm. second or third fight at welterweight. So he's been any fight that he does from now on out is going to be at welterweight, apparently. Uh, what are your thoughts on this main event? 
Yeah, I kind of like seeing RDA at welterweight just because he's getting older. The weight cuts are getting harder, you know. Um, but he is kind of one of those ageless wonder guys where, you know, he's he's just when, – when you look at just his last two fights, right, one of them was Fazeev still at lightweight, and Fazeev definitely was getting the better of him. Before that, he obliterated Moicano, but it just shows you that, like, there's a hard limit to how far RDA can go at this point in his career in lightweight. The division's too stacked. The weight cut is is getting harder and harder as the years go on. The dudes are are just more well-rounded. They have a ton more power. They're younger, right? Um, but then when you go up to welterweight, there's a little bit easier of a weight cut. Like, he looked great against Brian Barbarina. He looked fresh. He was moving really well. Um, he was light on his feet. He had power. He had takedown ability. He had pressure. Like, he looked like, you know, five to ten years younger just by moving up a weight class. So I think that's doing him a lot of favors here. Um, I think the the big thing here is Luque, man. I don't know what the fuck happened to Luque. I think uh, basically Bilal Muhammad broke him. I think that's what happened. Like, he was on a four-fight winning streak. He had a tough decision loss to Stephen Thompson, but that was more of a style thing where Stephen Thompson really bets on getting those guys who are going to be counteroffensive to where he can move in and out and he's too fast for them to react. So he just puts all the volume on the cards and just wins that way. Um, but after that, he was on a good streak. He beat uh, Tyrone Woodley, who at the time was on his way down. Randy Brown, that was kind of a surprise. Nico Price, less of a surprise. Uh, Michael Chiesa, less of a surprise, but they were impressive. Like you could see he was a contender. He was holding steady in that top five range, or I think it was top, yeah, like top five, top seven range. And then he fought Bilal Muhammad for the rematch. Everybody was like, oh, Luke's power, Luke's power is going to knock him out. And then Bilal Muhammad just, you know, he did the work, he got the game plan, and he just managed Luke in a way that he hadn't been managed before. Like, he just didn't let the hands or the submission game get going at all. He just kept the wrestling, kept the top pressure game, shut down his submission attempts, wouldn't let him get his striking going on the feet like, like ever. And he just rode out a, a decision victory, but he basically just dominated Luke. And I don't think he ever really came back from that because then he fought Jeff Neal, who Jeff Neal has been on a pretty good rise up himself. He's been looking better and better. But, I mean, he just got obliterated by Jeff Neal because Jeff Neal was willing to be the, the attacker, willing to go in and do the first strike, willing to put in the volume and, you know, risk the fact that, yes, Luke Vicente does have really good counter game and he can shut the lights out. But Jeff Neal was like, okay, well, I'm going to find ways around that. Like, I'm going to, you know, weave inside his guard. I'm going to do all these different things to make sure that even if he tries to counter me, I've got safeguards. And then once Luke came up against that, he was like, well, shit, now what do I do? Like, you know, all he could do was stand there and take damage up until it was like the third round and until he finally got finished. And that's like, that's been the thing he's, your, your mic's muted. But yeah, like that's been the thing that, you know, is really kind of been kicking his ass is all the damage he's accumulated up until now. And the fact that his game plan isn't adapting. And so now whenever he's getting someone who has just a better ability to manage his assets, particularly his striking and his ability to get his submission game going either on the cage or on the mat, if they keep him in limbo between those two things, he has no answers. And RDA, as old as he is, he looked really good against Brian Barberina. I think he absolutely has every chance of doing that to Luke, just managing him between his two strengths and just making sure he never gets too comfortable on one side or the other, constantly keeping the pressure on, constantly having him fight off his back foot, deal with the wrestling exchanges, deal with the guy on your back, dragging you down. 
And then when RDA feels like striking, he's going to be the faster guy. He's going to be moving in and out, land on his feet. He has power of his own. Um, he could potentially finish Luke because I've seen some durability issues, especially in the Jeff Neal fight. Um, but it would be like a late finish potentially in the third round. Um, but I think RDA could take this um, submission if he gets lucky, kind of like on the back basically, and Vicente Luque makes a mistake, allows RDA to close his guard from the back, that that will be over. Like immediately he's getting choked out. Um, if it's on the feet, a late KO or potentially a decision, just depending on um, what RDA looks like gas tank wise and, and what kind of Vicente Luque ends up showing up to the fight. But I, it's really, really hard to bet against RDA on this one. Um, and the money line does look good considering like how I, how mismatched I think this fight is. Um, and I think so the big, I think the big uh, question mark is that brain contusion that he had from the fight with, mm. uh, of course, Jeff and Neil. Jeff Neil uh, had the yeah. speed, he had the accuracy. So he was landed before Luke could even catch him. It yeah. was just a second to, uh, uh, faster than Luke And Luke took a lot of damage in that fight. Yeah. And he's, just from a fight-to-fight uh, basis, he tends to take a lot of damage, and it's finally caught up to him with that brain contusion. It's slowing down. He's a little bit older, and a lot of people are finding him out now. So you look at uh, just the Blue Muhammad; he figured it out too. He was like, "I'm just going to circle around him, take my chances, take him down, uh, like attack the, the single leg takedown. It worked very well, and then drive into it more with the double when I need to, and, and then get him down. He's going to fight you, but then when he goes to get up, land a shot at two." circle back out, reset, and then just land and go, land and go. And that really plays into Dosanius as well because he can land. He has good gas cardio. You saw that in the fight against Rafael Fiziaev. He did very well in that fight where even though he got clipped towards the end of, of that fight and lost, he was competing in that fight. A lot of people thought it was either 2-2 or maybe 3-1 Dosanius going into – into the later rounds, and then he just got caught mm-hmm. because of Fiziev and his power game, and that's yeah. something he's going to have to watch with Luke. But I feel like Fiziev is at the point where he's the faster guy, and Luke is getting a little bit slower, so he might not have to worry about that as much if he gets him on the angles. Uh, that's what uh, Muhammad did. You attack Luke on the yeah. angles, you attack him from the power side to kind of limit him from attacking you there. He's going to shoot for those takedowns, throw those uh, shots. He's going to incorporate the jab into things. Uh, Desanius has a very underrated jab, and then he's very poised. He has a lot of uh, time in the octagon, so he's going to come in there with a very good game plan. And I I don't think he's going to look for the the knockout. He knows that Luke has gotten a lot Uh, of damage. He's going to take shots when he has them, but he's not going to force it. So I feel like yeah. he's going to look for the takedowns, use that to kind of change levels and get those shots to the head. He's going to circle around. And this is going to be one of those fights where it's going to go to decision. It's not going to be the the, the funnest of fights. But I think Rafael yeah. Dosanius is going to be the faster fighter. He's going to land yeah. the more volume. And he's going to take a couple shots. And you might see him get wobbled once, maybe twice. But I think he's going to do enough to get the victory here over a damaged guy right now in Luke. He's a very damaged, two-fight losing streak. We don't know how he's going to look 
coming off the brain contusion. And I just feel yeah. like with everything that Dufanus has, he's the guy to go with. And with it showcasing that he's the minus 130, they're saying that it's a 50-50 fight, more so 55-45. And people are leaning towards Dufanus because he's taken less damage lately and he has the more pass to victory with decision. And possibly yeah. sub because let's not forget he does have that high level jujitsu background as well. Fourth degree black belt, yes. the only and, one in the whole UFC. That shit's yes. crazy. <laughs> and we really haven't seen it that much because of his striking right. power and his wrestling. Yeah. So it's like he, he has the trifecta here. He can knock you out, right. he can sub you, and then he could wrestle you to oblivion. So I like his chances yeah. here. Mice 130, oh, yeah. I'm easily attacking that. Uh, whatever the over is, I actually like the over two and a, uh, I, I like the over two and a half and three and a half rounds. I gotta look at yeah, it. The style matchup, yeah, that works. But other than that, I'm gonna wait to see what all the other props are round wise because I definitely like him in, in this one with the money line. Yeah, I think the welterweight cut is huge here because, like, any issues he had with, like, gas tank or, yeah. you know, uh, impact resistance, all that I think is going to be greatly reduced now that he's fighting way closer to his natural rate. He's going to have a lot more energy because the weight cut isn't going to be as severe. Um, yeah, I think this is just – he's going to have, like, the same advantages that Kobe Covington had where he's, like, eating cheeseburgers before weigh-in because yeah. he's already <laughs> naturally, like, won, like, 75 or something. You can burn that five pounds in, like, a week. So, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's he's going to be at all affected by this weight cut. And this seems like the weight to be at given his age. I think he was competitive at lightweight, but that time is over now. And he he's smart. He didn't just try to, you know, hold on to it like, like uh, Conor McGregor. And just try to be like, oh, no, I'm going to come back. Oh, I'm going to come back. But he was like, no, you know, I'm getting a little older. It's, it's time for me to slow down a little. Maybe go to a weight cut that isn't as severe and I don't have to worry about it so much. That way I can mostly just focus on my on my game, right? And maintaining yeah. that, you know, progression of getting better and better, even though he's approaching, what, like 40-something now? Yeah. Like, he's been doing this forever. But, like, again, in the Bayern Barberina fight, you couldn't tell. Couldn't, couldn't tell. Yeah. He is. 38, damn. Yeah, yes. 38. He's looking awesome for 38. <laughs> yeah. And when looking at looking at his past like five, six fights, of course, let's start with the, the Kevin Lee one because I think that's that was yeah. it. That was one of his debuts at Welterweight. He goes in there in round four because it was a main event and he triangle uh, chokes Kevin Lee. He had 60 strikes, he had four takedowns, and he had one sub. So he, he did a very lot. From that one, he had Leon Edwards, which he lost, and that was, that was another belt. Now, man. so you know he was yeah. kind of on the way up at the time too. So that was another main event, and Leon Edwards edged him out, a ninety-two to eighty-one, and then he had three takedowns on Dosanius. But it was a very close yeah. fight. It's just that Edwards edged each round. You had Chiesa, who took him down six times and controlled everything on the mat there. So really, that was how he lost ten minutes. Then he fought Paul Felder, who took the fight on a couple of these news. He basically did it on, on the main event fight. He dominated that with six takedowns, 92 strikes, but it was a lot of groundwork that he did. So it was a switch up. Yeah. Instead of striking, he did a lot of groundwork. You had the Renato Mocano fight next, which was another fight that was yeah. a, a short news fight. <laughs> And it was a short notice one yeah. from Makano who took the fight on short news. Yeah, that's right. 150 it was like strikes. A week or something. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Desanu said 150 strikes and five takedowns. So he combined all of them. That was another fight that went five rounds uh, there. And then he had the, the one loss was Fiziaev, where he, he still had 54 strikes to 64 Fiziaev. He had two takedowns. And the one knockdown was Fiziaev hit him in 18 yeah, seconds yeah. into the fifth rounds. And a lot yeah. of people, if you look at it, they were going back and forth with each other. You had Fiziaev had round one. Dusanius had round two. Fiziaev had round three. Dusanius had round four. It was a close fight. Yeah, a very close fight. And then he was, Dusanius was having a lot of success in the grappling along the fence. Mm -hmm. So he was using that to his advantage. And this was going back down to lightweight. And then he went back up to welterweight and he dominated Brian Barberina with the -hmm. the grappling and the sub game, which he got the round two where he could choke. He knew that he could grapple with Barberina. So he went to it. So, like, this is a guy that can capitalize on his game plans. Otherwise, right. a couple of the guys on here where, like, AJ Dobson, where he should grapple, but then he goes and strikes and vice versa. This is a guy that knows how to do what he needs to do. All the things, he knows, yeah. he knows yeah. how to transition from a striking fight to a grappling fight. And I think this is a perfect fight to where he's going to be able to transition from either or at will, depending on the threat. In each round, and I think he's just yeah. would between that, the cardio, the fact that he doesn't have to cut as much weight because he's going to be at welterweight. This guy's just a jack of all trades, very underrated yeah. fighter in the UFC. I think he gets it done by decision. Me too. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. We never had a card where we agree on all our picks before. <laughs> that's first first time. Kid by Q first. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are here first. We we we've had a clean sweep on who we think is going to win on this one. This is was just one of those weird cards. But yeah. before we get going, we'll be back next week. Next week we got UFC 292, uh, Sterling versus O'Malley, taking place at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. We got two title fights. We got the UFC bantamweight championship between. Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling. And then we got the UFC Strawweight Championship between Wei Li Zhang and Amanda Lamos. And then we even got a couple uh, fights on the main card. That's pretty well. We got Marlon Cheeto Vera versus Pedro. It's really cool. I'm yeah, liking we got, next week. Yeah, that's going to be We fun. got Vera versus Munoz. We got Mario Batista versus Cody Garbrandt. We got Ger- Gerard Mirchart versus Andre Petrosky. That's going to be uh, the prelim main event. And then we even got uh, Gregory Rodriguez and Denise Tulun, and then Chris Wyman's return versus Brad Tavares. So I'm looking forward to this main event. We're going to be back next week, uh, Wednesday at 5 o'clock or Thursday at 3. Not sure yet. We're in that range where we might switch the show from Wednesday to Thursday. You guys will be the first to know uh, if we switch it back uh, to Wednesday, but other than that, definitely check out uh, all of our uh, picks. Watch the show. Uh, look forward to Cage's Bet Slip uh, tomorrow on the Bloodline Network.com. And always, always check out the content on the Bloodline Entertainment Network on YouTube. Check Let's out go. all the content we have on here. 
that were sponsored by Debbie. So buy Debbie Energy Drink. It's the best of both words with drinking and with energy without all the content later on when you're getting tired. There's none of that. And definitely check out the merch that we have on Bloodline uh, Network.com slash merch. We got all different styles of merch. So definitely support the brand, support the network by buying one of our T-shirts, one of our hats, or one of the products that we have on the merch website. But other than that, I'm your host, Cage. This is my co-host right here, Miles Long. And we'll be back next week for another edition of Cage My IQ. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Get the real, y'all.